0: Is
1: episode two hundred and fifty-nine of Alohomora for November twenty-fourth, two thousand eighteen. Hello, everyone. I am Rosie
2: Morris. And I'm Michael Harley, and our guest today is one of our fan listeners, Aaron. Aaron, say hello to the listeners out there.
3: Hi, everyone.
2: (laughs) And tell them a little (laughs) bit about yourself, your uh, Hogwarts house, how you got into Harry Potter. Tell us a little bit about you.
3: So my house is Ravenclaw. Um, My Morning house is Thunderbird, so I got the two birds. Nice. Um, And I started Harry Potter when I was seven. The first movie had came out, and i couldn 't see it until I read the books, thanks to my parents um, so
1: good yeah. parents
3: um, <laughs> and my wand is beach with unicorn hair, and it 's brittle flexibility i don 't know if that's good or not
2: i yeah i actually i i 'm not really sure about brittle i'm i 'm not really sure what that makes the, the flexibility was like the, seems dangerous <laughs> <laughs> but, but the flexibility was like the most vague thing on Pottermore as far as wands go because I think Ollivander mentions that it's like about has something to do with kind of like the flexibility of your personality Uh, but I don't know what that means in terms of brittle like (laughs) I how are you with change Aaron (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm good with it. It's fun okay. for me. <laughs> um, You're
1: defying your wandwit. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, that's great. I like that your parents made you read the books before they let you watch the movies. That's good.
1: <laughs> you get all the detail that way. Yes, it's always important so. to get the hidden hidden storylines.
2: <laughs> yes, plus you get to put together the picture for yourself before, rather than having somebody do it for you, which is always nice.
1: Speaking of letting someone do it before us, we are doing a revisit episode today. Um, Although Michael actually features on both of these episodes, so that's all good. Um, We are chapter revisiting Goblet of Fire, Chapter 20, which is the first task. And we covered this chapter first in Episode 58, Miniature Murder um, of Alohomora, which was a whopping five years ago with 201 episodes in between now and then as well. Um, it was November 23rd, 2013. So pretty much five years close to the day. Um,
2: wow. It's quite impressive. That's crazy. Yes. So yeah,
1: if you guys haven't had listen to that one in a while, uh, it was Eric, Kat, Michael and Noah. Um talking about this very chapter, but you should also read the chapter before listening to this episode so that you are up to date with what happened in that very first task chapter.
2: And uh, before we get into this discussion, we just of course have to thank our Patreon sponsor. This episode was sponsored by Margo L. Robinson on Patreon. Thank you so much, Margo. (laughs) Thank you. It's because of listeners like you that we are able to continue forward with Alohomora and do the things that you, the listeners, want to See us do, and you can become a sponsor for as little as one dollar a month. Rewards include access to the private Facebook group, Dumbledore's Office, at the two dollar level, where fans can chat with each other and the Allohomora hosts about the latest Wizarding World news. All the way to rewards at the twenty-five dollar level, with an, including an Allohomora vintage T-shirt and a private Skype chat with a host of your choosing, with plenty of tears in between. We will continue to release exclusive tidbits for sponsors. You can visit patreon.com slash alohomora to find out more about that. We had a lot of extra episode content, actually from the um, recent Cursed Child <laughs> in New York City episode, <laughs> because that episode actually, in full recording time, ended up, I think, over four hours long. Uh Wow. Yeah. And we realized that, that was not an un- that was not a reasonable length for episode so lots of extras <laughs> um went to the patreon uh the patreon listeners actually got my review of cursed child first before the general public so there are a lot of benefits to being uh patreon sponsor for Mora. and then, again like we said because of you because of listeners like y'all uh who contribute on patreon just like margo did uh that helps us continue the show forward and we also wanted to make sure and let you know about a little special something that Alohomora has been involved in. If you are a user of Pandora, Pandora has a new service that will be launching soon, uh, which they are calling Pandora Podcast. It is in a beta test right now. And Alohimora will be featured on this new service offered pa- by Pandora, which is launching in December just like how Pandora uses algorithms to discover music that is fitting for you this new service will find podcasts that are fitting for you based on your personal taste and you can sign up for early access at pandorapodcastbeta.splashthat that's s p l a s h that.com again that is pandorapodcastbeta.splashthat. And you'll find us in that lot of podcasts that are hanging out with Pandora. <laughs> and, of course, before we dive into the new episode, we want to take a look back at one of our previous episodes, our shout-out Maxima for our last chapter revisit, uh, which was, as uh, if I can recall off the top of my head... I believe a Deathly Hallows chapter. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it all becomes a blur, um, listeners. So I'm going to check on that for you. Yes, it was, uh, chapter 18 of Deathly Hallows, which, uh, <laughs> episode was titled D- Disillusion Maxima. That was the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore chapter. And, uh, the, some of the shout out maximas that I wanted to give start with, uh, Rick J.M who started a conversation about how much credit we should give Hermione in the series, which was a really interesting comment because especially since we tend to heap praise on Hermione, Rick Jam kind of went the other way with that and uh, stuck up for Harry's abilities a little bit, which was really interesting and started a lot of discussion there.
1: Mm, Quite relevant for the chapter we're discussing today as well.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And (laughs) started a lot of debate about how much Hermione contributes to the series as a whole. I think the there's... Just tends to be a general leaning in the Potter fandom to give Hermione, um, a lot of credit, uh, in my opinion, not undue credit, but, uh, at the same time, it's always nice to hear a different opinion on that. Uh, so, and that's what we welcome on a little tomorrow. We like to hear contrarian opinions, um, to the norm. Uh and we've also got we also had a great comment from Puff the Magic Raven comparing Dumbledore's character reveals to Orson Scott Card's Speaker of the Dead speaker concept which is actually some, a series that I am, I'm I have not read past Ender's Game so I am not familiar with that particular uh part of the series but it really sounded interesting the the I love literary comparisons in Potter that our that our listeners discover so that was a great connection and also it's always nice to have book recommendations from you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, another shout out Maxima to a seeker, not a finder, who had a theory about Voldemort being involved in Rita Skeeter's uh, writing of The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore, uh, which was a really interesting concept and kind of goes along mm. with the idea of how uh, fascist regimes control the press. And yeah. uh, so that was a really uh, unusual. I don't I've never heard that theory before. So it was a really no. good, unusual idea.
1: Be very creepy to have Voldemort as your (laughs) ghostwriter.
2: And uh of course we want to shout out Maxima to all of our additional participants from that episode, including Arthur Dent, Blood Charm, Davy B. Jones nine nine nine, Diskid, Griffin Perfect, how am I going to translate this? Lisa, Phoenix in the Flame, and Ravenpuff. You guys contributed great thoughts to the discussion. And just because the episode has concluded does not mean that the discussion has. Head over to alohamorepodcast.com. And on episode 257's post, you can see all the comments that contributed to that episode and join in the discussion yourself.
1: Great. And without further ado, we should start our chapter discussion for this chapter. It is Goblet of Fire, Chapter 20, The First Task.
2: Three turns should do it. Chapter Revisit. Axio Chapter 20. Axio: The first task. Axio Gotcha.
1: To give you a quick summary of what happened, equipped with the knowledge of what he will be facing in the first task, and with a vague tip from Sirius, Harry appeals to Hermione for help in defeating the dragons. But the magical solution is nowhere to be found. In order to try and level the playing field, Harry manages to warn Cedric Diggory of what's coming, as he already knows that um, Fleur and Victor are aware of the dragons. And in return, he receives a nudge in the right direction from Madai Moody. After devoting the little time he has left to mastering the summoning charm, Harry manages to successfully outsmart the Hungarian Horntail and tie Victor Crumb in first place, collect a valuable hint for the next task, and most importantly, mend his fractured relationship with his friend ron
2: (laughs) and this this is a perfectly timed uh revisit for this chapter because this actually november 24th actually marks the 24th anniversary of this event in the harry potter canon
1: no wonder we did the first episode on the twenty fourth as well. We, like we really like our anniversaries
2: <laughs> <laughs> with our podcast recordings.
1: I'm really surprised though I wasn't on that first episode because if anyone knows me, I am kind of obsessed with dragons. So this is like my ideal. Yeah, this is your chapter. <laughs> <laughs> um, we won't go into too much geeky detail about dragons, I promise. Um, but you know. Here there be dragons. It's good. Don't,
2: don't make promises you can't keep, Rosie. This is true. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: we'll start though by thinking about the fact that, you know, the dragons are an incredibly difficult challenge to be given, um, especially when you are only in your fourth year of school. You really shouldn't have been in this tournament in the first place, and suddenly you are faced with really deadly creatures that should not be on a school site whatsoever. Um, (laughs) The serious nature of the Triwizard Tournament is really kind of well and truly fully revealed in this moment. And Harry is thoroughly distracted and nervous about everything that's going on. Even though he's got these massive creatures in front of him, though, he's still kind enough to let Hermione finish eating her breakfast before troubling her with it. (laughs) It's like, it's a really nice moment of Harry's friendship where he really does respect people enough to think, I'm I'm going to let her finish before I actually do anything while he's having a kind of internal freak out.
2: <laughs> well, I guess, it's I awful. mean, if, yeah, if you, <laughs> if you went with like, if Harry, if Harry was interrupting people every time he's freaking out, nobody would ever be able to eat. So. Very true. <laughs> oh God, no.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's the real cause of the problems with him and Ron. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't get between Ron and his food. <laughs> um, but eventually he does um, to kind of tell Hermione all about what he's discovered And they, of course, head off to the library to do their research. But it only makes it seem more and more impossible. Whatever they find out about the dragons, they just, you know, they're they're not something a 14, 15 year old should be handling, um, especially one to one. Um, But not only are they trying to defeat a dragon, but they're also trying to decode the kind of message that Sirius had told him um, that a kind of simple spell would do, um, which... Yeah, Harry's not that great at riddles either, so yeah. kind of yeah, making the challenge worse <laughs> rather than better.
3: The simple spells uh, that they come up with are very interesting. I want to know who invented, like the horn tongue and the pepper breath, and what are those used for?
2: Hope, well, it's very true. Hopefully not on a dragon, because as <laughs> they know, these are all awful spells to use on a dragon if you want to defeat it. That uh, well, and uh, th- that that's the funny thing to me too about um what series suggests is a simple spell because i think the, the way hermione and harry are thinking about a simple spell is for defeating a dragon is specifically like the research that they're doing is specifically for dragon care and taming but yeah right. we find out later that the spell that Sirius, I believe, we find out that the spell that Sirius was going to suggest, if I'm correct, was the conjunctivitis curse, right with the with the pink. Yes, because
3: that's what Crumb uses.
2: Yes, yes. And why on earth would anybody think to do that to a dragon? Like, <laughs>
3: <laughs> like their eyes are their weak point.
2: <laughs> is that I mean I, I mean I guess that makes sense, right? Because the, the the eyes are like one of the few things. So the only that doesn't
1: have scales. Yes, yeah.
2: that that's not covered in. Scales. I also, I don't know if this is true in Rowling's world, but isn't it generally, too, that dragon's underbellies are a weak point because they're not scaled most of the time? I know
3: it's true with the um, blast-ended scroots, because in the third mm. task he has to do something like that, so mm-hmm. I would imagine the same yeah. thing.
2: I mean, maybe that is maybe that is the obvious thing. It's just like, it's the eyes, but uh, I just... I, I, I yeah, that I wouldn't feel... be the first thing I'd think of. No. I... It worked
1: for the basilisk.
2: That's true. But then the basilisk's true.
1: eyes are its weapons to so. <laughs> Yeah,
2: it has a distinctive thing about its eyes that you have to get rid of <laughs> you have to take out. I, I guess I was just thinking in terms of like with that suggestion from Sirius, that I'm imagining the conjunctivitis curse doesn't necessarily like come up specifically in research about dragons because theoretically you can use yeah. the conjunctivitis curse on a human. Right. Yeah so
1: i imagine that's how Sirius knows of it as well mm. i wonder if there are like spells that come into vogue a bit more kind of in certain times so maybe that was one that he was really used to using when he was at school so he assumed that harry would know it
3: yeah i feel like that's something Sirius would have
2: yeah yeah that is something that we do know from order of the phoenix right because uh they Sirius and lupin mentioned that Levocorpus was really in vogue when they were yes. in school yeah um and that spells go in and out of popularity so that yeah, it's certainly possible that. Yeah, that I guess the the mistake, uh, the miscommunication that's making this like section of research frustrating is that Sirius is suggesting a spell that is not beast or dragon specific. Um, yeah, work, and that's leading Hermione and and Harry down the wrong path. I think we also talked about this might be an episode fifty eight recall, but I think we had talked about it in that episode that the the funny thing about Hermione's Trust in the library is that whenever she goes there to solve something with Harry and Ron, they can never find what they need. <laughs> it's very true. It's it's of course you know plot convenient. But is
1: that a problem with the library, or is that a problem with Harry
2: and Ron? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, like Harry or, uh... and Ron in that moment. <laughs> 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 but it's it is always funny because the like I, I think we talked on fifth, episode fifty eight about how this starts all the way back in sorcerer's stone with the with the convenience that hermione doesn't think to look in a particular book about Mm. um flamel and he's mentioned in a book that would not logically mention him um like it's i think because don't they find it is it is it that they find it in hogwarts of history because it's mentions Dumbledore
3: no they find it well they find out about Flamel on the um chocolate card
2: they but do but they definitely- Hermione pulls
3: the book from she was reading it was like reading that she had in her yeah
1: isn't room. it a book of like famous witches yeah, and witches it from be, history it
2: might even not be a book that was labeled with a title in the narrative um but yeah, I can't remember if it was just like a generic book or if it was Hogwarts: A History. But it's just a, it's 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 funny because it's just a book that she conveniently didn't have until yeah. she needed to have it. <laughs> At the very- it seems
1: odd that they can never find the answers in the books that are supposed to be on the topics that they're yes. looking for. <laughs> but they can always find it elsewhere. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so yes, this this is another one of those situations, but. Because you would think a book about drag. This is
1: why you should always make friends with your librarians, because yes. the librarians have the answers. <laughs> yes,
2: if they were just nicer to... I mean, I know Madame Pence is more of a stereotypical sour librarian, but maybe they could have tried being a little nicer to her.
3: <laughs> and I mean, she has to know what's going on at that point, right? I mean, she knows that this kid is about to step into an arena. Even if she doesn't know what the task
2: is. It is funny to think that if she had known that, like she'd been a rule follower and just been like, I can't help you. Good luck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But they're not the only ones in the library doing the research either, because Victor Crumb does appear and then soon followed by his kind of crowd of little people. (laughs) Um, But then you've got the question of, you know, is Victor Crumb there trying to do his own research into how to defeat the dragons? Or is he just stalking Hermione
3: still at this point? I think it's a bit of both. One or the other. I think he, while he's at the library researching, it's kind of the same thing of seeing that Hermione is there.
1: Yeah. It's where he kind of starts to to be interested in her, I think, is seeing her dedication to reading and finding out knowledge.
2: I don't know. I think he's just full on stalking her. <laughs> like I, I, He might be doing research for the tournament, but I feel like it's one of those situations where if she had been looking at any of the books he was reading, he would have been reading them upside down. Like, uh, <laughs> probably because <laughs> we do. I mean, we find out narratively that the only hint we get is that, yes, he's he's just there to follow Hermione around and watch her. Um, so
1: which is creepy. It's don't do that. listeners. Yeah. please don't do that. It's not it,
2: it's not
3: <laughs> ideal. I think Kakarov <laughs> is one of those uh, people who once he knows it, he probably just was like, OK, so, Victor, this is how you're going to handle it. Like he probably taught him the curse, okay. and was like, "We're done. That's
2: it." Yeah, that's that's what I figured too. Is that the the headmasters and uh, told told their students how to do it? Um, yeah, and that of course you know.
1: Alternatively, you know, the book that Sirius was telling, trying to get them to point out—they can't find that spell in those books because Victor's got it on the next table. <laughs> oh, there we go.
2: He's got the only book that mentions the conjure. The only book with
1: the discuss. <laughs> 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 Who knows? Could be. <laughs> Um, But this is a really interesting moment because this is one of the only times that Harry really considers running away from Hogwarts. Mm. Um, He's faced with this impossible task, although he's already, you know, had murderers and... Voldemort and Dementors <laughs> to deal with in previous years. But this year, dragons... Oh, no, Septifar! far. Um, <laughs> but even then, he decides that actually, dragons are preferable to the Dursleys. Uh, yeah, which that's... just goes to emphasise how bad that was. Um, <laughs> that's pretty bad. I'd rather face a Horntail than go and have breakfast then with Dudley. Then go Dunnally. back
2: home. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the reason the dragon does seem like that too is because it mainly the size more than anything yeah. <laughs> like that's i think literally huge beast <laughs> yes it's it's the sheer yeah it's the sheer just breadth of of a dragon i mean the only other thing he has faced of that size is is the basilisk right yeah But he had help with that he had
3: true fox and he had the sorting hat and the sword
2: oh man he should, he should have summon the sorting hat and oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> Sword of Gryffindor against the
1: Hungarian Horntail would have been perfect. (laughs) Hey, Dumbledore, can I borrow that for a minute? (laughs) Obviously, he's just not thinking. (laughs) Um, It is, however, interesting to consider his level of fear here in comparison to those kind of previous other moments, especially because this is a challenge that has been designed for the students to face. Mm. So it is technically designed to be beaten. um, And yet Harry really does seem to be a lot more afraid here than challenges in the past that meant certain death. Is it because it's not really, like, a heroic moment? He's not in it to try and save someone. He's not in it to try and do something for the greater good. He is really in this just to win a tournament. He's only in it to win the challenge.
2: I think that's exactly it. Because all of those previous challenges that Harry has faced, he was doing to save someone's life. Um,
3: Right. Those challenges kind of just thrust themselves upon Harry. This one is kind of like, hey, by the way, in a month,
2: you have to do this.
3: Good luck. Yeah
1: so maybe that's a part of it as well the kind of the build-up to it yes. the impending doom mm. makes it worse
2: which like runs even through like especially it runs through as a major like feeling in this chapter um yes with that like she really and I, I, which which ends up i think in many ways being the case just as a whole with the tournament because harry procrastinates until yeah. like with every task until about like a few days before the tournament so he, i mean and, the
1: lake he was late for it because of it
2: because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just well and i think that sometimes is like i can i can empathize with that feeling because when you have yeah. something that uh, like you just have anxiety over it's almost kind of like it feels better to just put it out of mind and out of sight so that you're not fretting over it for that whole yeah. period of time, like you could be doing.
1: It's also that kind of thing of if you if you don't really try, you can't really have failed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he does try for this one, and like, yeah, so as soon as he actually does find out what the challenge is, then he really kicks into gear trying to work out what it is uh, and how to fit, how to solve it. But yeah, if, if you don't put too much effort into it, you don't feel quite as bad for not succeeding. Potentially, <laughs> that might just, just be me.
2: <laughs> the other thing with this challenge is that, and I, I put forth this feeling on episode 58, but this, out of the three, this challenge is definitely the most insane one. Like, yes. this, this, this is, like, this, this one is really the one where you could, where you will most likely die.
3: And I wonder with that because were these challenges, like, rediscussed once Harry was placed in them? Like, was this the original challenge before it was four champions?
1: I think it must have been the original challenge. I think, isn't it mentioned somewhere that they kind of ordered up an extra dragon? Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, the other um, minister. So, yeah, there,
1: there were three dragons on order, and then they had to add another. Um,
2: oh, yeah, I bet that was so, expensive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> change the order last minute. Terrible. Charlie, um, Charlie
2: Weasley's like, he's fat. He's like feeling bad for Harry, but also he's just like, but... I got paid Dragons. really well. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the, but it, it is like because I mean the to be fair the uh, the underwater tournament is also very dangerous. But as long as they have found a way to breathe underwater, I mean the thing is if they hadn't found a way, they wouldn't be able to do it. So yeah, there's. I feel
1: like the lake there are kind of safeguards in place. Like yes. even the, like the people that have taken have been charmed so that they'll, be, they'll survive for the hour. And then at the end of that hour, there would have been some kind of release mechanism if they hadn't been saved. Like yes. they, they wouldn't have just allowed these people who aren't even in the competition to be dying under the lake. <laughs> yes. um, whereas this with the dragons, there's very much a sense of once you're in that arena, you've got no idea what's going to happen. This is a wild beast. Well, potentially wild beasts that, that, that you're attacking um, that really could do some serious damage um, and yes you'll have Charlie and his mates there and 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 dragon kind of wranglers um but you know it's like if you're in a pen with a tiger you can't really describe what that tiger's gonna do
3: um, no
2: well
1: and, it's dangerous well,
2: and uh, there's an element too of like how far do you let the spectacle go before you stop the danger because yeah as we'll find out they went pretty far with all the champions
0: <laughs> <laughs> before <Yeah. laughs>
2: anybody did anything, and it just you know, at, at a certain point too, the the issue is well, the dragon ate them, and there's really nothing we can do about <laughs> that. Like the yeah. dragon. Sorry,
1: I know he was the chosen one. I know he was the boy who <laughs> lived, but he, the dragon was just hungry. Got... <laughs> ready wanted <to> breakfast.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: don't worry, Voldemort. We got this taken care of for you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then by comparison the maze is just you know a cakewalk so yeah it's I mean, actually my favorite I mean, it's, it's
1: especially easy in the film because they cut out yes. all of the things Ugh. that happen in the maze it's horrible. Um, but you know there are supposed to be really dark beasts and curses and things that are going on in the maze anyway to add extra difficulty yes but essentially it is just some hedges yes,
2: <laughs> yes. with some yeah with some cool stuff in between i mean yeah probably if you know you had gotten the sphinx's riddle wrong and gotten her angry you probably might get a, a good beating but you she yeah. probably wouldn't kill you or at least you know some and again safeguards seem pretty easily in place because the maze is just in the quidditch pitch
1: yeah to be fair this is the 90s and health and safety just didn't really <laughs> exist in
2: britain <laughs> so. I had a
3: tall board, so you know there was no <laughs> form to fill out you just do it
2: yeah, it's not hard the- to me. you're fine what does the healthcare coverage look like in this situation? It wouldn't
1: happen in, in Hogwarts in
2: 2018.
1: <laughs> 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 Having tried to find out all of this information, though, and really failing, um, Harry does manage to find Cedric and decides, you know, if he's aware and he knows that um, Maxime and Karkroff are aware and so the other um, champions will probably know what's going on. Cedric's the only one that's going to go into that field blind. Um, so sportsmanship to harry really means more than winning and it's quite a nice thing to see you know from from him being this great quidditch star um and and just him being the hero he really does care that everyone goes into this battle equally even you know he didn't even elect to go into the competition in the first place he was as we know was kind of tricked into being a champion um but still he doesn't kind of keep that knowledge to himself he goes over to cedric diggory who was really nice to him during the quidditch world cup over the summer and tells him what's going on and cedric's even taken aback by this you know they're all facing the challenge they're all supposed to be in it for themselves and in it to try and win and yet harry's there telling him what's going to go on so he treats him with some slight suspicion um although quite a lot of respect at the same time
3: well, that's why I love Harry in this moment. I think this is his true, like, Gryffindor sense coming through. Yeah. And like, you know, he just wants everyone on equal footing because Cedric would be at a loss otherwise. Yeah. Or maybe Dumbledore's helping him. Who knows? <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is all Dumbledore's doing. Uh, I, I, uh, I agree in that Harry's, uh, that like this is, Harry's values always come through with this kind of situation. And even with the, Because I think Harry has, like, at some point during this tournament, Harry does have this realization too of like, oh, like, I'm doing good in this, and yeah, (laughs) Cho Chang's looking at me, kind of (laughs) a thing. But even then, yeah, he's still, he's still playing, he's still playing fair, and it's it's funny because he 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 does say in kind of his the narration through his perspective says like. When, when Cedric is like, why are you telling me this? And the narration of, from Harry is just like, what is wrong with you, man? Like, why? Yeah.
0: It's like, why do you care? you. Know,
2: like, <laughs> <I'm telling> you. <laughs> believe me. But I, at the same time, I feel like Harry would be like, we, we see that in, in, before the second test, Harry is just as skeptical of Cedric's information. Right.
1: Yeah. But there's such a double standard there as well. Like Harry just goes straight out and says, Cedric, the first task is dragon. And Cedric says, oh, take a bath with your egg. You know, (laughs)
2: like,
1: just, just, yeah, smell it over in the water. (laughs) Well, and it's,
2: but see, it's still fair in that respect because Harry just, (laughs) like, it's still fair in that Harry got the information from, Hagrid just said, it's dragons. Like, that's, (laughs) he didn't earn it, Hagrid just told him. But Cedric actually did go, and we find this out from Myrtle, cedric did go and spend a lot of time trying to figure out the riddle and so in cedric's mind which i think is fair um and because he worked all of,
1: harder for it yes
2: yeah. he worked hard for it and, and presumably all the champions did they all had to listen to the egg and figure out how to hear it properly and then figure out what its riddle meant so um, i think I'm, that that's still yeah. fair
3: that that one always gets me. How did the who said that the egg in the bath? Like who
2: thought that? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's actually pretty clever. I think it's weird that it's an egg, but I guess that's like a tie the dragon of the, part of it. Yeah, that's the dragon, the, the previous yeah. piece. Um, so that's well, and that's the funny thing too about this task compared to the other ones is that this task is the one that has like the riddle that they have to solve and to figure out what it is. The dragon one, there is no, theoretically, no prep. Yeah, no, <laughs> no lead-in. <nothing>. <laughs> you just go in blind. Yes. You-
1: the most dangerous thing with no preparation whatsoever.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, the maze, I don't believe, gets a hint. The maze just ends up being like Ludo Bagman takes them to the Quidditch Pitch and like, it's a maze with them. stuff in it. Yeah. And so, yeah, th- it is kind of shocking. Don't they
1: get to see it beforehand, though? Like, they, I, I swear Harry sees it when it's being grown. Yes, when, they when Ludo them shows And then suddenly and it's really tall. Cool. Yeah.
2: It's, it's not fully grown when Ludo shows it to them, but it's starting. Yeah. Um,
1: but, but they get some kind of prep. They get some idea of what they have to do before they go in.
3: Just yeah. get yeah. to the cup. You'll be fine.
2: Yeah.
1: Maybe they just learned from their mistakes. and went, oh, hang on a second, that was too difficult. <laughs> we'll be nice
0: to you next time.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is It is funny that there's just no hint or lead up for this sh- dragon situation it's just pure like the idea i guess is that you are purely being tested on your skill in the moment of it yeah. of an insane challenge that i guess theoretically could be something that a wizard could come across you
1: might come across a dragon <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. and harry does several times yes. in his lifetime yes in the first seven books that we see so, good yeah, Enough. yeah
2: absolutely <laughs>
1: Um, There is a slight amount of prep, although not official, um, because Mad-Eye Moody does overhear, or Mad-Eye Moody, in inverted commas, (laughs) does overhear Harry and Cedric's conversation um, and takes Harry up to his office to have a chat. And, you know, I say I I really point out the inverted commas with that name because (laughs) it really makes me think about this scene in terms of reading it again once we know who actually is kind of talking Harry through this moment. We know that it is Crouch Jr. So what did he want from Harry in this moment going forward? Is he trying to kind of interrogate Harry, find out his skill level, find out what he knows? Or is he actually just trying to help him get through the task in order to succeed up to the end point where he knows the kind of final challenge is the most important one?
3: I think in this moment that uh, Crouch just realizes that Harry isn't as brilliant as he might have been played (laughs) off. And so he's like, dear God, I have to get this kid through... (laughs) three of these challenges and i can't (laughs) Mm -hmm. help him
2: it was interesting uh, because i've of course uh, through all the rereads since the first one that i've done of goblet i've known that this is crouch jr and there is this uh, you know there's still this weird discussion in the fandom about what crouch jr did for harry um Mm -hmm. and I think that leads to a discussion of how much of it was genuine and how much of it was just him being a horrible, evil human being. And I'm pretty sure that about a hundred percent of it was him being a horrible, evil human being <laughs> because, you know, he wants Harry dead. Like he's, he's Voldemort's most loyal follower and he wants Harry dead. Um He's just a really good, Actor, but actually, this is the first time I read this scene and read it with this eerie feeling of how slimy Crouch jr is,
1: yeah, yeah. And just everything that he's saying, um you know Harry's asking about all of these dark detectors, which are essentially all broken mm-hmm. um and partly it's kind of why is no one suspicious that all of these are broken items, but mm. also. It's it's just that everything that Crouch says about them makes it almost seem like a hint, like he's trying <laughs> to be caught. Yes. It's, it's fascinating reading it. You know, the, the first time we read through all of this, we just kind of took it at face value and said, oh, they're, they're all broken. That's interesting. Um, but like everything's kind of... Yeah, he he's really trying to show off and almost trying to get Harry to question him, trying to point out so he can be the one that goes and attacks him potentially. Yeah, it, it seems like Crouch is just laying it on so thick
2: and and this is all this scene is all set up for the for the climax with the encounter yes. with with moody in his office and the reveal yeah. um of course with things like the and we talked about we talked specifically a lot about his dark detectors on episode 58 because he does have some bizar- like the the faux glass is still a bizarre item to me that i mm-hmm. don't think i fully understand um he, I feel like t-
3: it's like the mirror of air says in that way. Like depending on who looks into it, mm-hmm. depends on whose enemies you see.
1: Yeah, and the, you know they'll they'll show up clearer when they're closer to you. So the, that's the idea. of, You know, I'm I'm not really in trouble until I, until I see the whites of their eyes when they're right behind you. Right. But just then, you know, that's when I open my trunk.
0: <laughs>
1: we know what's in your trunk,
0: dude.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting how mirrors are so associated with. You know, eyes and what, you, what's well, like truth, because of course, yeah. There's there's a mirror that only shows an eye in Deathly Hallows, with the two way mirror and and Aberforth's eye, and then of course, as you mentioned, Aaron, the the mirror of Aresed, which is a truth telling, or not a truth telling mirror, but like a in like a mirror that shows a person's like kind of personal truth. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah that's interesting that the faux glass is because this this is one of the i feel like the faux glass and it's I, i'm actually surprised the faux glass kind of like the faux glass made it to the movie <laughs> when yeah <laughs> it's not used properly but it's made into the it made it into the movie um and it's it's just funny that um like i feel like the faux glass is the lesser of all the mirrors that make an appearance in harry potter but it's still pretty important um because I, th- yeah, I think
1: i think like if harry had one it would be very useful yeah oh
2: god yeah well, he'd his they'd he'd be able to see the whites in the eyes like all the time, basically. Like he has so many <laughs> enemies; it's not just Voldemort. Oh
0: dear.
3: <laughs> well, also in this moment, I feel like this is the first time. Harry, well, because Harry doesn't know that this is not Mad Eye. He's learning yeah. from this guy. He's learning. Mm-hmm. You know, in each situation, yeah. you have to play to your strengths, no matter what they are. And this is like when Harry first starts getting that, like, oh, okay, this is how wizard how auras handle dark situations yeah mm.
1: that's the fascinating thing about crouch as mad eye is that he is actually one of the best defense against the dark arts teachers second to Lupin. Yes. Thank you. um but <laughs> <laughs> um but in terms of the the kind of dark charms and things that he does show them i mean obviously he has all of that knowledge because he was practicing the dark arts but you know he gets Harry gets a really practical education from him because he does show him all of these things that he needs to be prepared against. Um, which, yeah, again, is that just Crouch, kind of trying to hide out successfully, and but also kind of trying to teach the kids the dark magic so that they'll be easier to recruit later on potentially.
2: Oh, that's a really I think yeah, there, there's, there's
1: definitely an element of training. You know, I'm sure Draco would be really happy to be learning the cruciatus curse in that lesson, you
2: know. Right, like, like book seven. With yeah. The, uh, yeah. Caros. yeah. I was just gonna say that this this could easily have been like the caros of disguise, you know, doing this. Like this the like what mm-hmm. what the theoretically what ideally would have happened, I suppose, for Crouch Jr. is that he could become the dark arts professor at Hogwarts and be teaching the actual you know, going so far as to teach them the actual dark, dark spells instead. I, I think what happened if, you, because you, I do think you're supposed to read it ret- retrospectively that Crouch is just a slime ball who's
0: yeah. trying <laughs> to
2: get what he needs out of Harry. And with that reading, what happened, I think, is that Crouch underestimated Harry because Voldemort and his followers don't put stock or value in kindness and yeah you know and how you and choices and how you choose to use the skills you've been given and the abilities you've been given because i think i think maybe the one thing that crouch junior might have been actually impressed with was that harry could hold off a, a cruciatus curse or an imperius curse yeah. rather um, I think that impressed him, probably. And
3: how does that fly? Like, you have to get that through Dumbledore. I'm sorry. Like, I'm going to use the unforgivable curse on the children. They need to know how it works. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: I'm assuming that one's, like, one that they didn't give the lesson plan in beforehand.
3: <laughs> ah. But or no kid poss- wrote home and was like, Mom, guess what I did today.
2: <laughs> or possibly that Dumbledore saw the value in that, and didn't find it that to be a surprising thing that Mad Eye would yeah. do. Yeah. Um, okay. And
1: I guess it's yeah potentially him being Mad Eye Moody. It's not so far out of the realms of possibility. Okay. You know he he would be the kind of person who would show it, right? Potentially, but not necessarily perform it on the kids themselves. <laughs>
2: well, yeah. Out of out of the three, he's using the mildest one. The Imperious Curse yeah. doesn't like as long as he's you know using it responsibly he's not hurting them um right like the most injury harry gets from it is a banged up knee when he bumps it yeah. on the desk so <laughs> so uh, yeah and he
1: gets consent to do it first as well it's not like they're they're being mm-hmm. charmed as soon as they walk into the classroom door it is prepared so that they know what's going to happen right. and then it happens okay so potentially that could help pass it as well
2: yeah good lesson but equally
1: <laughs> still dodgy
2: i think when <laughs> what also helps with this reading too actually Is the movie I don't always throw the movies a bone but uh, and especially not Goblet of Fire but Mm -mm. uh, (laughs) Brendan Gleeson I think gets it just right as far as the tone that he hits because he does uh, he does have that element of trustworthiness that I think Moody's supposed to have but I think if you go back and watch the performance fully informed he is also playing that frustrated eagerness for Harry to just get to the solution um Mm -hmm. so and i that did i have to say probably helped me a little bit with my read this time where i could pretty clearly hear just this It, it was almost everything i had in me to make sure that i wasn't picturing moody licking his lips because um, <laughs> he's just so intent that harry gets to this without him flat out saying it and breaking any rules which
1: is an interesting movie quirk because everyone always asks david Tennant to do that and it <laughs> doesn't uh like they don't ask Benedict gleason to do that
2: but, yeah. right.
1: but we see him doing it for most of the film
3: and i love the fact the way in the movie and it's the one thing that i do love is how he describes the other three like to harry yeah. like these oh, are the, yeah. these are your opponents
2: Yes, he, yeah. he gives Fleur her due. He says she's as much of a fairy princess as I am. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> nice. Like, you're actually giving her credit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, he is trying to rush him towards the solution. And, you know, he says that cheating is a traditional part of the Triwizard Tournament, that he doesn't really mind kind of telling Harry the answers. Um, but even then, he does kind of offer him clues rather than saying it out, uh, straight out. So play to your strengths. Um And it still makes me wonder, you know, does Harry really not think he's good at anything except Quidditch? Surely by now he must think he's got some skill in something. Mm.
3: I still feel like this is kind of like the him still getting between, like, living with the Dursleys and accepting his place in the Wizarding World. Like, he knows he's good at things, but the one thing he absolutely knows without a doubt is that he can fly. That's about it.
1: And it's not really until Dumbledore's army when he starts to think, actually, maybe I'm good at defense against the dark arts, so maybe I'm good at this kind of thing instead.
3: Well, he also didn't have a competent teacher until his third year.
1: It's very true. <laughs>
2: yeah, I was, I was going to say the same thing with, especially with the magic aspect that Harry, Harry's, I think <laughs> that's always been hard to gauge with the books because I think readers flip flop between understanding that Harry's actually pretty competent at school versus like, being at ron level um yeah <laughs> which i'm sorry ron but you're, you're you know you're just passing in many cases but that, <laughs> like that that that's the thing because we see scenes where harry is slacking off or scenes where he is letting hermione do his homework like ron is but yeah harry does seem to be uh, si- simultaneously harry seems to be co- comprehending the material he's been given because he for the most part yeah. he picks it up pretty quick and- i think
1: harry's the kind of student that can kind of get away with things like he's mm-hmm. he's that kind of b grade student who doesn't really have to try throughout most of the time and then will just get the good mark in the exam anyway um, <laughs> whereas hermione tries really hard to get the best marks and ron doesn't really try any try very hard but has been kind of mentored and and um uh tutored almost by hermione yes. in order to get the passing grades <laughs>
3: yes
2: yeah but i,
3: well, I think do. hilarious think- to me like, I think that Ron should know the most. I mean, he's grown up watching yeah, his parents and family. brothers do magic all his life and at least knowing a little bit more. But he actually kind of falls subpar of both Harry and Hermione in that aspect.
1: And I think that's quite interesting in terms of education that, you know, you if you're introduced to something and you see the value in it, then you try a lot harder to get it. Hermione immediately thinks, wow, this is magical. I want to know everything I possibly can about right. it and sets herself on a mission Harry sees the benefits of, you know, the things that will get him out of the situation that he was in previously. He is introduced to all of these wonderful things in the magical world. He likes his creatures. He likes charms. He likes all of the kind of transfiguration-y kind of things. He likes, to an extent, potions when it's not Snape teaching. <laughs> he likes, yeah, he likes all of these things that are new to him and exciting, but he doesn't really try as hard because he can just kind of do them when he tries. Like, yeah, it, it, it doesn't... Um, he, he's not trying to be perfect at everything. He just wants to be able to give it a go. Um, whereas Ron just kind of assumes that he'll be able to do it someday, so he doesn't really try that hard, I think. <laughs>
2: well, and, and But like you said, the Harry, I think when it comes to spell work, doesn't get that confidence, that pure confidence until he's working with Dumbledore's army as far as his belief in how good he is with defensive magic. Um,
1: When other people are telling him that he's good at it, then he's kind of like, Oh, maybe maybe I am. mm -hmm. Okay.
2: Yeah. Harry's very humble. Um, Yeah. So that's like, he's, he never really brags about what he's good at. And I think that's another thing that Moody's or Crouch is finding frustrating in this moment because, hum humbleness is not also is also not a trait of the death eaters (laughs) and voldemort (laughs) that's that's it's it's uh, like to them it's just second nature that you know what you're good at and you brag about it and you use that to your advantage to your personal advantage which is not what harry and his peers tend to do
0: yeah
1: the thing he does use for his personal advantage though is Hermione. <laughs> um, so once he's worked out that he does have skills in Quidditch, that he does have skills in flying, and he should probably try and fly to try and defeat the dragon, um, he immediately runs off to find Hermione um, and asks her to teach him the summoning charm, which always astounds me that he only learns it in Book 4 and Chapter 20 of Book 4 as well, because it seems like it's just been around forever. Um, chapter
2: 20 of but- Book 4, out of class. Right. We'll this. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, it's like, why is why was that not one of the first things that he was taught?
2: Yeah, this seems pretty it's important. So <laughs> and I feel yeah. like pretty much the one that spell same... that everyone
1: says they, they would want in the muggle world is right. asio.
2: <laughs>
1: or accio. I always, yeah. I prefer asio as the, as the pronunciation. <laughs> uh, I
2: say axio because that's how they say axio. it in Wonder Book of Spells. I've been told that apparently in the in, like, with Latin... The two C's makes a hard K, but yeah. oh. I I'm curious who who decided that because Latin is a dead language and we've never heard anybody speak it. So what do you know? <laughs> so don't 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 at me linguists. I'm sorry. I, I fully admit I know nothing about that Latin, but yeah, I I I that that particular spell is one that they're like until the movies came along i don't think very many people pronounce the same way um no, no not at well, all well there's
1: there's no real pronunciation guide for it within the book hermione teaches it to harry and doesn't really teach it to us so <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah that is and we know it's important to pronounce spells correctly
1: correct so yeah that's why none of us could do it. All this time that we've been shouting it out loud, trying to get things to fly towards us, and it hasn't been working because we haven't been pronouncing it correctly.
2: <laughs> well, and listeners, if you want a, a review, uh, an in-depth review of Axio, as well as Defindo, which is the other big spell that's introduced in this chapter with when Harry tries to get Cedric's attention, um, check out episode 58, because both of those spells have a lengthy history that is detailed in the wonder book book of spells which boy if people didn't care about it back then nobody cares about it now because we've moved on <laughs> to the playstation 4 and the playstation 4 does not have wonder book so Aww. yeah that that time is gone so um yeah definitely but it
1: had so much good information though, it did. So, yeah do go and check out that episode yeah
2: and those stories were really fun um and they were written by rolling so yeah i mean all things in 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 canon or in question these days. But that that those are some fun stories, so make sure and take a listen back to that episode. Yeah.
1: Um while Harry is learning the summoning charm, however, he is still attending lessons. For example, he goes to Trelawney's lesson where her predictions are very, very targeted at <laughs> Harry's death in the first task. It's like he's already been like terrified by knowing what's coming and suddenly you know you've got teachers telling him that he's gonna die and ugh, oh, she's not really even she trying anymore sometimes. is she no <laughs> like it's just yeah the most easy prediction you could make but also the most <laughs> terrible that you could do to a 14 year old well kid. i
3: think she also has a pattern by this point she knows that by the end of the year harry will have done something dangerous or stupid <laughs> not to even Very add sure. the Tournament in, but by the end of the year, Harry will probably be in more danger. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is how you know Trelawney is a charlatan, right? Is because she does go for easy targets, like right. yeah, things that are predictably like they're they're big things, and that's why it's Harry because that she targets because Harry is an attractive thing for the school to watch, and so mm-hmm. so for her to consistently target him and go after him with vague predictions of his demise or his impending danger it's she's gonna be right um yeah but it's a grand kind of right because it's harry <laughs> but if i mean if hermione were there you know she'd just be like of course harry's in danger he's in a triwizard tournament he's not supposed to be in so it
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i wonder what a normal class with her is like like does she just pick on other people and they're like well that actually didn't happen so
2: <laughs> <laughs> she, well, we found out I think in Prisoner that she is so good at just tr- kind of tricking people into thinking that what happened happened. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. So
2: she did it to Neville, like the bunny she, thing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah,
2: yeah. She did to Lavender. Yeah, she, she, and it had slow burn. Like like you said, Verzi, and some like with the lavender situation, that was that was a slow burn. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> it worked. So yeah, she's she's just I I think. Most students, especially because we get it established that divination is, uh, Hermione calls it a woolly subject. And, mm-hmm. and I think it, that that's why the students are taken in by it so easily because I, it seems to be even in the wizarding world that divination has a lot of mystique around it. And therefore, most students yeah. just don't take it at first. It's value. interesting
1: you know when we're later taught taught about um you know occlumency and legitimacy you know mind reading does exist and we see it very clearly in fantastic beasts and where to find them the first film and probably the others no spoilers we haven't seen it yet don't (laughs) worry
0: um
1: (laughs) but um yeah for for predicting the future is i guess very different from kind of reading people's thoughts and emotions at the moment. Um, but it does seem like there are elements of the magic that would be needed in divination that do exist and are credible in the world. Um, but it's, you know, that, that particular brand of divination that Trelawney is really kind of <laughs> tapping into. That is just the worst kind and completely not what you need. <laughs> well, she also has
3: an audience of 13 and 14 year old, you know, I mean, yes, older yeah. kids, but they're impressionable at this point. So of course, you're going to believe someone who says they can see the future if they can, you know, word it just properly.
1: Yeah. Although not everyone believes, as True. Ron proves, <laughs> um, you know, he, he laughs in this scene. Um, and Harry would normally be laughing with him, but he's so annoyed, um, both with Ron and with the situation that he's found himself in at the moment, um, that he just is too annoyed to care. Um, and it's really quite sad that, you know, we, we really see this fractured relationship um, between the two boys at this moment. Um but not for much longer. It's all okay.
2: Good. (laughs) Um, Because Ron's being a butt. As... Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, As Harry leaves this um, lesson, though, um, there is a fly that's kind of buzzing around him. And it just makes me think, you know, we don't really get details like this mentioned (laughs) for no reason. Um, And for a fly to be annoying him and for that to be important enough to be mentioned in the book it makes me think is that fly rita skeeter is it actually a beetle and she's kind of following him around in the days leading up to the competition trying to get some kind of scoop as to him you know harry potter terrified before the first task right you know, and he summons that kind of it headline. to
3: him like it just probably sits in his hand and yeah. he doesn't kill it or anything so or oh, what well, we know he doesn't but that to me i read it and i was like oh, it's gotta be
2: rita
1: yeah I think there's a lot of clues in this that re- that require a second reading that could be, could be more than they kind of first make out.
2: I would have been interested if uh, le- and maybe this is the language thing, Rosie, you can speak to this because I mean, here there's a distinct difference between if you tell somebody that a beetle was buzzing around you versus a fly, um, like that's not interchangeable in the U.S. Yeah. Um, would it be considered interchangeable in the U.K.?
1: Probably not. You know, a, a be- yeah, a beetle is definitely a beetle. Mm-hmm.
2: Um Only I on, and I only say but, that because rolling in the other scenes where Rita is definitely there makes takes care yes, to say that it's a beetle. a beetle.
1: Right. Yeah. I think it yeah, it just makes me think maybe Harry's not paying enough attention That's and it possible. is actually a beetle and he just thinks it's a fly. Yes. Um.
2: That is possible. Well, and the <laughs> the uh, sadly there is well, again, canon is messing with things, but there is a previously released definitive answer from book of spells about whether harry is summoning it and he is not because living things cannot be summoned with axio
3: oh, oh yeah. the fly was just <laughs> stupid
2: uh, yeah the fly is apparently just dumb <laughs> or is rita skeeter and is trying to get intimately close to harry to get some information <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> um, straight after his lesson though he does go back to hermione and he does keep going trying to learn this spell and like any good student cramming before a test the night
0: before <laughs> yeah. it's
1: due, um, Harry finally succeeds at 2am um, and c- continues practising um, with the spell up until the very next day. Um, I think Hermione does actually kind of send him off to bed because, yeah, you should probably definitely sleep before going to battle a dragon. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing that on a night where you've not slept at all. Um, but he has now learnt um, Axio, asio however you want to say it Um, and can finally um, summon things and we'll do so forevermore um, (laughs) as we all wish we could do procrastination
2: at its finest (laughs) yeah beautiful beautiful spell see and it does prove what we said what we were just saying about how harry picks up on spells and lessons he got that like in a day pretty much. Yeah. Like, hard practice within a day.
1: Quite a supposedly quite a difficult spell as well, so, yeah, good for him. Well, yes. can I also say,
2: in this moment, because he takes
3: the invisibility cloak to get back into the classrooms. do you ever think he thought maybe just use the invisibility cloak? I know he doesn't yeah. like people knowing <laughs> he has it, but...
0: But
1: keep it secret, keep it safe. You know, he's not allowed to show it to people. Yeah, um, I think
2: the temptation... He couldn't really
1: use it in a public forum. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I think the temptation would be there, but just the... Uh, annoying reminder that it's supposed to be a secret, right?
1: Yeah. um But to add insult to injury, not only is this the most dangerous thing <laughs> they could ever have asked the student to do, but then they force him to still attend lessons that day before the task. Yeah,
2: that's weird. That <laughs> the,
1: the task th- doesn't happen until the afternoon, and he's got to do a morning full of lessons first. I need a mental it's health just- break. <laughs> yeah (laughs) give him the morning off
2: this is one of those like situations where the poor teachers were probably trying to figure out how to like schedule like school simultaneously (laughs) with this this tournament
1: oh Oh, no it's sports day
2: (laughs) 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 like this is right and rosie you probably could speak to this but this is like the bane of like Poor teacher's existence oh, yeah, is trying yeah. to, like, fit it, cram in all your lessons into yeah. all of this. Trying to
1: teach English because we know we've got the, the the major, like, English GCSE or OWL exam coming up. <laughs> um, but half your class is missing because they've got an, a practical art exam that day. So, yeah, it's terrible.
2: <laughs> yeah, this is probably... I'm sure this tournament is mostly just an annoyance for the Hogwarts staff.
1: <laughs> but it's really nice to see that um, Professor McGonagall is actually being her most motherly self at this moment mm. as well. She's very aware of what's happening. She's very aware of um, Harry's anxiety and she's showing some of her own anxiety at this moment as well. She gives him a really motherly speech and just kind of saying, you know, do your best. It doesn't matter if you don't succeed, like just, just do what you can. We're all kind of supporting you. It's it's a really, really nice McGonagall and Harry moment. Um, and one of the softer ones that we actually get to see, I think this is the kind of, this is the moment that Harry really remembers later on, you know, um, with Umbridge versus McGonagall when he's really kind of properly in McGonagall's kind of corner and, and saying how dare she attack our head of house this is the kind of moment that Harry's really thinking of as she was a motherly figure to me, she was our head of house, she really cared for us. Um, McGonagall at her finest.
2: There's a few times I think she straight up cries in the series over Harry but yes yeah, it's, it's, I mean you know she saw this boy being put on a doorstep as a baby with, at a home that she was not comfortable with him being left at, and now, like, to basically be like, all that work and he's gonna get eaten by a dragon. Like, that's. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I mean, and oh, also dear. she knew Lily and James. Like she knew they probably weren't,
2: wouldn't be okay with this. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This
3: very
1: true. I
2: think McGonagall is constantly not okay with the things that Harry is being put <laughs> put forth to do. <laughs> so, because she's actually one of the, isn't she one of the strongest propon- proponents for not having him participate in the tournament? Like, yes, I think so.
1: I think very she. Yeah, about she, it. she wants to cancel the whole thing. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, and like. Only Crouch, like, only Cr- Barty Crouch shouldn't, or not, like, the, the, and, and the statement that the Goblet of Fire overrides anybody's wants, for whatever mm-hmm. reason that is. Yeah. Um, putting, put, kind of puts a kibosh on that. But yes, McGonagall's not, McGonagall doesn't approve of any of this, so. So
3: McGonagall yeah.
2: should have raised Harry. I'm all for that. <laughs>
3: McGonagall should have <laughs> been
2: his adopted mother. Mm-hmm. Yes, she's got a pretty good head on her shoulders.
1: Definitely. <laughs> um she is however walking him over to the champion's tent which does seem a little bit like a walk of doom um (laughs) and the champion's tent is really one of the things that they change massively um in the films i mean the key details are there they still kind of go in they still see everyone um they still get the dragons and all that kind of thing but it's the real moment they change with hermione and it is one of the things that bugs me the most about Hermione's kind of representation in um in Goblet of Fire in particular Mm. is that you know in the book we've just had you know we've, we've been talking for an hour now that we've had all of this discussion of all of these things that Hermione was doing with Harry to prepare him for the task she taught him the spell she helped him she stuck with him when Ron was gone all of this kind of thing but she is still quite practical she's she's not as emotional about this thing you know she thinks that harry's prepared she thinks that harry can do it yes she's worried for him but she's not just gonna kind of sneak up the side of the tent and randomly jump through it to give him a hug when he's needs to be focused and it's just a very very different hermione that we see in the film um and i don't really think it was necessary i think hermione's got so much more agency in the book to be her own person and to do her own thing um
2: i think this is I don't know. like okay so listeners if you've you know listened to previous episodes about that talk about the goblet of fire movie you will know that it is one of my least favorite movies because it is a tonal mess um in my in my opinion hashtag in my <laughs> opinion but the, the always always that asterisk but uh i think all the things you said rosie point to problems, tonal problems with the film and problems with how the characters are dealt with. And Hermione is one of those, because as you mentioned in the book, she has this training montage with Harry where she's mm-hmm. like shown to at, within her support in the movie. Um, she is still by Harry's side when Ron leaves, but it's, it's boiled down to teenage pettiness because the scene that they get is the one by the lake where they're arguing with I'm each not other an owl. yes <laughs> that's that's what's left over and and then to short change hermione's support to make up for the fact that the axio piece isn't there they give her this scene instead to show that she's still that she's that she's harry's emotional support in the moment and, which
1: does nothing apart from try and encourage all the Harry Hermione ships. Yes, no, like, and it's, that it's just completely. And
2: that is yeah. Cloves. Like Cloves has admitted that he liked Harry and Hermione as a pair, and that yeah, and, and you can see that in the writing. Plus, it's
1: just wrong. The,
2: the setup <laughs> is also there's a piece that's set up that doesn't go anywhere, which is that Hermione hugs Harry, and then Rita gets a picture of it and puts it in her paper. And, right, I thought yeah. that was
3: going to be something more, like the yes. fan letters and all that stuff coming in.
2: Yes, so exactly. And it, and it is set up, it, it's set up for Which, that.
1: Yeah, and that does happen in the book, to be fair, yes. doesn't it? But that's and, and that's why Mrs. Weasley turns against her. And that's
2: <laughs> what makes this the scene, the way it's done in the movie, so weird, because they have Rita and they do the setup for that plot, but then that's pretty much the end of Rita's plot. Because they don't yeah. do anything with her after that.
1: I wonder if they filmed more of it, but it got t- cut for time.
2: They very certainly um, may have. Um, but yeah, they, there's a lot of setup in that moment that just fails. The tone doesn't in the scene also fails because they use it as a humorous moment where Dumbledore comes in and he's, what are you doing, Granger? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, no. no. <laughs> so, oh, dear. yeah. And, and Well, and then... You've got a lot here, Rosie, too, of what we kind of touched on at the top of the episode about the – what we're going into with the emotional piece and the anticipation and the buildup. And the movie also ruins that and – yeah, yeah, we get a,
1: a very small kind of, um, panning shot of, I think it's just Fleur pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the book describes Fleur being pale and clammy, Victor being very surly. Um, Cedric manages a small smile, but it's obviously very kind of feeling very sick. Um, and then it's Bagman who's there <laughs> fe- uh, being very obnoxious, wearing his old Quidditch robes, being, being the light relief. Mm-hmm. And we don't get any of that in the film whatsoever no well, well, we well, don't
2: get yeah. bagman at all which i wish no we
1: did. it's just completely changed to dumbledore well
2: and that's the problem that's um, good yeah bagman is bagman's bagman's light-hearted humor is like dissipated amongst multiple characters so he's yeah. he's put into dumbledore and crouch senior
3: well can i also say with um bagman and i've always had this weird little inkling that um he was under Crouch's imperious curse i have this weird thing that bagman was playing i know he had the whole like goblin mm. own them money and stuff but
0: mm-hmm. mm.
3: he's so in harry's corner before all of that and i'm just like does he know is he part of this because we don't get any more from bagman
0: yeah
1: i so I've, I've kind of put here is he designed to kind of show a contrast to, to Crum and harry's fame you know um what is, is is Bagman being you know the great Quidditch star, um, the celebrity host of the tournament essentially meant to kind right. of show Harry that you know this is a path that you could lead if you wanted to. You could become like Crumb, you could become like Bagman, but perhaps you don't necessarily want that fame. I
2: think as far as Blake Bagman's uh, like involvement in the greater scheme of things is that he is here to he's here to be a red herring. Um, yeah, and which is Thank why getting know. rid of him from the movie it ruins the but there's a bunch of structural problems with the mystery in the movie anyway because they just show you who did it in the first scene anyway yeah. <laughs> um so so that's <laughs> that kind of pulls that all apart so you don't need bagman in the movie in that respect um but yeah i think the, like, that's, and that's why Rowling's Red Herrings and why she, uh, why the way that she writes mysteries is good, because she bothers to give Bagman a secondary purpose. He's not just a red herring. He's a red herring who, like you said, Rosie, is actually meant to teach something about or inform yeah. about, you know, the other characters who are there. And yes, I think you're right in this case that Bagman is ready to give Harry an easy ride through the tournament. Um, Mm -hmm. not just for, I mean, it is for his benefit, but it will benefit Harry because he'll tell Harry how to do it. (laughs) Um, so Harry has the choice to take that up and he chooses adamantly not to. Um, which again speaks to, you know, this whole chapter being riddled with Harry being taking a moral high ground with the tournament. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: It's interesting, I think, seeing the different types of adults and the different types of help that they offer. Um, and yeah, Bagman is, a, is another one of those adults who just will, yeah, will tell you everything, like won't even try and give you a in, in a clue, won't give you it in a riddle. Um, he's just going to spoil it, essentially. Here it, it is, take it
3: as it is. Yeah.
1: He's the guy that ro- runs down the road saying Dumbledore dies.
2: <laughs> uh- <laughs> <laughs> that's oh my God, Bagman. yeah, he's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Rowling isn't yep. as heavy-handed as this example, but she does have kind of similarities in that way too, say, uh, Lemony Snicket, with a series of unfortunate events with how yeah,
0: like adults
2: that. are yeah. shown to really actually be more childish than children in yeah. certain cases <laughs> or, and, and this is a common comparison, especially to the earlier Potter books, but with Rolled Doll, um, adults tend to be grossly irresponsible in Rolled Doll books and children are usually the ones who are outsmarting them. Um, yeah. so that's, I think that's kind of that. There, there's a tradition there of flipping the script on on adults, on the roles of adults and children. Um, and mm-hmm. Bagden's definitely fulfilling that role. I mean, yeah, like you said too, the fact that he shows up in his old Quidditch robes is very <laughs> unnecessary. That don't fit yes. at all. <laughs> he's
1: just, yeah, he is. He's, um. He's the celebrity host, isn't he? He's nothing more than just trying to cash into Mm -hmm. who he used to be and will take any appearance possible as long as it gets him the paycheck.
2: Yeah, and I guess that the paycheck still isn't big enough for him. Yeah. (laughs) For his debts.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, But yes, the crowd assembles and the champions choose their dragons from the bag. And I really want a tiny model dragon, please. Just, just, just tiny dragons. I want one, please. Pocket dragons. Are
3: they alive? I'm, I'm shocked they don't sell like something small like that at the Wizarding ah. World. Like, they
1: do. That would be... but they're not real. <gasps>
3: <gasps> <laughs> That's the. Oh, I was like, please tell <laughs> they move. I need to go back and grab well, one.
1: Yeah, a, a, a tiny, small, fixed plastic dragon is not quite the same as a living, breathing dragon.
2: It's funny how they <laughs> Are they, they ran with those two in the movie because those dragons make another appearance in Half Blood Prince.
1: Yeah, Harry gets to keep his little Ooh. one. Yeah,
2: there's there's yeah, there's a scene cute. in the um in Diagon Alley where there's a tiny little horn tail like heating up some treats for in the street. Um, so they <laughs> apparently kind of kept with that idea that there are little miniature dragons. Everywhere. Miniature <laughs> dragons,
0: <laughs> amazing.
2: I mean, which there should be because that's astonishing. I want one. I think yeah. we we I had would a, have
1: one every and, type,
2: <laughs> and w- of course we. Brought up on episode fifty-eight, the Noah's favorite question, listeners. Of, of course. course, our our old friend Noah, who was actually on that episode as a guest. Uh, but whether the dragons were alive, and I think the big, like the big question that came up with that as an example within this book is that the the dragons do. I mean, they they do like we we see later that the dragon like goes to sleep and stuff on <laughs> Harry's mantelpiece, but also that Harry. And Ron have obtained a miniature crumb and we later find out that. Right. Like he m- murdered that little miniature crumb, like he tore it to pieces. So oh. uh, <laughs> I, I'm hoping they're not alive. If that's something that you can do to them.
3: <laughs> oh dear. Well, if they, I mean, cause technically like Hermione said in the beginning of this chapter, like it's really hard to transfigure. Mm. Like, so you can't shrink them down? Are you, that's true. Sh- like, are you making them out of small, I don't know, rocks or...
1: Yeah, maybe like, that's two, what it is. Trees? Maybe you transfigured a rock into a tiny dragon, and therefore, that's why it's tiny, because it's rock-sized.
2: I just like to, like, uh-huh. live with the comfort that maybe it's similar to, say, the portraits who are just... Like, there's clearly some spell out there that creates a, like, faux life. Yeah. but it's it's not... 3d
1: printing right. but the magical type there you go
2: that's a good way to put it that <laughs> makes me feel even I better love that.
1: <laughs> 3d magical printing portraits <laughs> of tiny dragons i'm
2: gonna 3d print we have a 3d printer at the library i want to 3d print myself a tiny oh, dragon
1: cool. <laughs> if you do you have to send me one
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> can i also please <laughs> that i'm taking orders now <laughs>
1: So, of course, the uh, four champions take the tiny dragons out of a tiny bag. Um, And we are given a few different breeds. We are given a Chinese fireball, a Swedish short snout, a Hungarian horn tail and a common Welsh green. Um, I wonder if the common Welsh green was the kind of one that was tacked on in the end, because they're supposed to be really not actually that dangerous compared to the others.
0: Um, (laughs) But the others are all
1: quite bad dragons to be facing when you are 14 years old. Um, or 17 years old.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, it, I wondered if they were kind of designed to represent different kind of dragon mythologies. Obviously, Welsh dragons and Chinese dragons are very kind of famous things. Um, Swedish, not so much, right. but you do have the kind of Norse mythology aspect of of those kind of countries. Um, and there are definitely some very famous Norse mythology dragons. Um, and Hungarian was really interesting because I didn't know anything about Hungarian dragon myths um, mm. until I looked it up. And apparently they're a really big thing. So oh. yeah, Hungarian dragons are, are a big part of their mythology. Um, but they don't have horn tails. Are they
3: described as this horn tail? No, they are,
1: they are multiple headed dragons generally. What? Um, so at least Harry didn't oh. have to face kind of a Hungarian horn tail hydra. Um, yeah. yeah. Harry got it off slightly easier in Rowling's version. <laughs>
2: That's crazy. That would have been yeah. very Herculean to be going yes. After, yes, them, yes. after the hydra <laughs> that's that's a wow that's really cool yeah that they're i mean we've seen before that rolling very much takes mythologies from other you know cultures and countries and makes them her own for potter um yes because most of the a lot of the beasts that show up aren't necessarily the, the way that they would be portrayed in their in their culture
1: yeah and yeah Um, And there are, of course, other dragons that are mentioned um, in the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them book um, and other things as well. So, yeah, we we, and obviously, you know, Norwegian Ridgeback, for example, we've already seen. Um, So there are other dragon variants available in the Wizarding World that she could have used. um, But these ones are the ones that were particularly picked out. And perhaps they also slightly represent... um, the the champions themselves you know we've got Mm. a very kind of a a blue dragon for the swedish shorts now which seems like it should be going to fleur we've got the hungarian horn tail which kind of suits crumb perhaps a little bit more um so they yeah Yeah. the the four um dragons kind of slightly match up to to the, the champions although they don't actually go to the correct um champion in that case
3: well, maybe that was kind of their idea. Like, you're not fighting your opponent, but you're kind of yeah, fighting Yeah, so maybe opponent.
1: they got the Welsh Green because it's a slightly easier ch- dragon, so they thought, we'll give Harry a slightly easier dragon to do. Um, and Harry doesn't get Yeah, so maybe the luck aspect of it, maybe the, the picking them out of the bag was a, a new feature that was added in. Maybe Moody, perhaps, um, suggested that they, they kind of draw them out of a hat rather than <laughs> just being given one. Hmm. Because was it, yeah, was it just bad luck that Harry was left with that dragon? Or was it designed, do we think?
2: Hmm. That's an interesting one. Be- because if it was Moody <laughs> who designed it, that seems anti to, like, and, and, like like not helpful to his cause. Because he's trying to get Harry through the tournament.
1: This like- is true. Maybe it was Karkaroff right. instead.
2: <laughs> ah.
3: Right, I would have assigned Harry the easiest of the four if that was the case. Was true, yeah. I
2: just I feel like this may not have been a change and that because they seem to be like really st- they like everybody seems to really be sticklers for tradition with the tournament. Um and that even though Harry like in in many cases it just seems to be that Harry's muddling everything up for them. Um so I I think this seems like it's something that's that's how it is like picking the random dragon is because this this this, this horrible stupid dangerous challenge is all about just facing it as it comes to you. Yeah.
3: Well yeah, and even with the cheating, like the traditional mm-hmm. cheating, you can only cheat so much. Like you might not know which dragon you'll get. And so that's where the Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, and comes. and I'm pretty sure I I didn't review it before the episode, but of course, all as Rosie mentioned, all four of these dragons are mentioned in Fantastic Beasts the original book and um, I'm assuming that all of these dragons have various special powers that are associated with them and possibly even different uh, vulnerabilities. Um.
1: Yeah, so um, Pottermore has a, a page which is everything you need to know about dragons, mm. um, which is quite nice, and... <laughs> um, that mentioned a few different things. So, for example, the Swedish short snout um, is a bluish-gray dragon with silvery skin uh, that is apparently used to make protective gloves and shields. So when we've got dragon hide gloves and things, um, potentially that's that's more Swedish short snout. So imagine that it's got kind of very tough armor compared to some.
2: So that probably um, means that like, that one is especially resistant to curses and spells. Right.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, the Chinese allies. fireball... Uh, the red beast is named for the mushroom-shaped flame that comes from its nostrils when angered. Hmm. Um, so that one in particular seems to be, yeah, particularly firepower compared to some. Um...
2: Yeah, that's the dragon yeah, so that I wish got we'd gotten qualities. more on. The Chinese bill yeah. sounds amazing. And listeners, if you haven't, make sure and look up, you can find it through, like, one, you can find it actually through through um, a lot of the uh, concept art for... for harry potter but you can also find it through like merchandise for example the noble collection which sells replicas of all four of the dragons but you can see what the dragons were meant to look like at least in the movie they of course most of them don't conform to what's written in the books um yeah but there are visual depictions of the fireball and the sh- and the short snout and the welsh green um so you can get a sense of maybe a one vision of what they might have looked like i've never really been a fan of how the dragons turned out in the movies, because they all kind of look a little too weird for me. Um, they don't.
1: They all to... look too similar. They don't. They don't look. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah they don't have enough. their own exotic. Well, and they like, end up going for like, like a lot of the dragons in the movies. It's funny that we have one that's specifically called the Swedish short snout because that definitely implies that most dragons have long snouts. But a lot of the dragons in Harry Potter don't have long snouts.
1: Yeah, um, little snubnose dragons. <laughs> yeah, we have
2: a lot of those. And the and the Hungarian horntail tail turned out like the the visual of the Hungarian horntail tail in the movie while pretty spectacular in its own right is not what's described in the book. No. It's No, not at all. It's like got a very it's got a very short snout and it has horns all over its body, not just its <laughs> tail. Um so they kind of just went ahead and ignored the name of the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, no, it it definitely is supposed to look different than yeah. than that.
1: Although I do appreciate that they tried to do some creature effects rather than just relying completely on CGI with on the dragons. On CGI, yes. Um, yeah. yeah, that's good. Um, to continue the emotional torture of the champions, though, <laughs> however, um, once they are actually facing the dragons, once one one of the champions kind of goes off to go and battle one, the others have to sit there and listen to what is going on. They <laughs> listen to the crowds kind of ooing and ahhing and screaming at the terrible things that they're seeing. Um why? Why couldn't they just put a silencing charm on the tent? Um, it's, it just seems all just another another factor to try and torture. torture these poor children.
3: Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, this has definitely got to be emotionally scarring at the end of the... Whether you win, whether you lose the Triwizard Tournament, there's probably some mental help you'll need afterwards. Yeah,
1: PTSD aspect. We're
2: and it good. leads into what you have here, Rosie, about how Rowling describes what Harry's going through in this moment.
1: Yeah. Um, so she really describes it as a a bodily experience of fear she really describes all of the different sensations that he's feeling but also an out-of-body disconnect he he Mm. walks into that field and is describing it it's very cinematic is describing it as if he's watching it happen rather than actually experiencing it himself Mm -hmm. so it's a quite an interesting um it's it's a really interesting description to be able to achieve both of those kind of feelings at the same time and very
2: beneficial for us as readers to be able to see it through a cinematic lens thanks to yeah. this view because then you do get a picture of the whole field rather than just from harry's point of view this yeah. also
3: kind of reminds me of the um moment before harry actually steps into the forest in the last book mm-hmm. um yeah. it's kind of that Similar like thing. yeah where he and i think she describes it as like everyone being a different or harry there are different species to harry before he goes out and it's like that out of body mirror to me
0: yeah
1: she's really good at being able to kind of play with time and with um the senses so that we can really kind of cut out it's like yeah if you were watching a film and you're kind of watching your main character and all of this stuff is kind of happening in slow motion around them and the the sound quality just kind of muffles out everything that's far away and you focus in on the breathing it's that kind of thing isn't it where where the details become really really focused um and everything else is is blurred um and yeah she she describes the task like it's a kind of an oversaturated dream he picks out colors he picks out motion but he doesn't really um tell us anything other than the detail of the dragon and himself
2: and that ends up pretty much lasting through the whole experience for him he can't hear anything that he can't properly hear anything bagman is saying he can't mm-hmm. gauge what the audience is reacting to um and at some point like what's nice about that that we'll see once Harry gets into the task is that that transforms from being the fear to actually being focused. Um, Yeah. He manages to transfer that, that to from, from being in a daze to being attentive to only the task.
1: Yeah. Um, So Harry succeeds in, in summoning his firebolt after a kind of a temporary moment of doubt where he's cast a spell (laughs) and he's not sure if it's worked or not. And there's a a kind of episode 58 recall here. Um,
2: this is the podcast question back when we did that for these episodes. Um, and I actually thought it was a great question because (laughs) it's something that I guess we don't really, you know, think about a lot in Harry's case because he, a lot of his success as he acknowledges in order of the phoenix, he had help with, but Mm -hmm. like what (laughs) if Harry had just. Played if if this had all gone down the way that it was theoretically supposed to, where nobody knew what to do, what was coming, what would Harry do? Like, would would he? Have, what would he Run have and done? Hide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, has he learned? He
3: hasn't learned enough. Like, like they said before. Like, I would think disillusionment charms, but he hasn't learned that yet. Like, I, I don't know.
1: I think go the route of the troll in the dungeon. You know, try and. um Make Destruct one of it. the one of the rocks float or something and throw it at the dragon. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's there's not really much he could do at that moment. He would have to kind of very quickly assess the situation, see what he has on hand around him, remember he has a wand, <laughs> and actually do something with it.
2: <laughs> That's unfortunate because the most powerful spell he knows, which is Expecto Patronum, is probably not effective in this particular. Situation. It might
1: distract the it dragon, you know, he might go for the shiny, um,
2: <laughs> shiny look over here while I go that way. Yeah. It could work. It could help maybe for a while. That's true. <laughs> yeah. As a distraction. That would be, that's something like What he yeah. has to do is get the egg. Yeah. We don't, we know pretty much anything else isn't he doesn't, his only other. Of course, Harry's learned Expelliarmus by that time, and that's not going to help him.
0: Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> oh, dragon,
1: drop those horns on your tail.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think there's much heat.
3: And can I just could. ask if Harry knows the summoning charm now? Why didn't he just summon the egg to him?
2: Very true. <laughs> it's always guess, been a question. I guess there's of mine.
1: probably some kind of anti-charming thing on the egg itself. You have to actually go and physically get it. But uh, yeah, could have tried it at least.
2: I feel like, the, yeah, that's the assumed thing without actually saying that that's the thing. Um yeah. 'cause Because, yeah, that does seem like a logical solution. I learned this spell for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, well, I, we talked about, there, there was talk about this, too. Like, was this technically, I mean, it must have been, because nobody said anything. But was this fair? That...
3: I call it cheating. <laughs> I, I mean, it's the one way like ingenuity. Harry has to do it. But I don't think so because you're not just using a wand.
2: Well, and that yeah, that seems to be uh, the goal of the of this tournament, of especially of this one, is to really focus almost strictly on your, scale, uh, your spell your spellwork prowess. Right. And mm-hmm. yes. Summoning the broom from your Gryffindor tower room is impressive, I suppose, to some degree. Technically, too, the other thinking piece of thinking there that I realized was that Harry could have brought it closer. Like, he could have just put the broom. Yeah, he could have it in the stands. Yeah, yeah. He could have just been like, Hermione, bring the broom. And I'll just summon it from you. And, you know, if people out, you know, people ask, just tell them not to ask questions. Like, it- well, <laughs> with
3: that being said, can you summon things from anywhere? Like, can it be halfway? We've across definitely
1: the world? asked that question before. Yeah, there if is and like a,
2: a, a limit. One, well, yeah, the the book of spells implies that there you can summon things from a pretty great distance. If like depending on you know how powerful your magic is, um, and how badly you want the thing, and how well your focus maintains. But uh, yeah, I think like this is a reasonable. This is a reasonable distance um, for the summoning charm. It's impressive. It's but it's, it's a reasonable yeah. distance. But yeah, I just, I feel like this does kind of, it's almost like rather than really tr- properly playing the tournament, this is more of like a clever loophole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> around. And also, tournament.
3: did he leave like Gryffindor Tower's window open? Like, how did the board
2: <laughs> get out of the castle? There's a broken yeah. window in the broken Gryffindor hole. Tower. <laughs> <laughs> he figured he'd use Reparo later. I don't know if he yeah, knows it's all right. The well. house
1: elves are already there fixing it.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um,
1: once Harry is in the air, however, all of that previous fear leaves him, and he finds the fam- familiarity um, of being on his broom really comforting. Um, it seems that like he's able to cope really through this kind of analogy. He. He gets into the air and immediately thinks, hang on a second, this is just like Quidditch. Um, I'll treat it like a sport. And perhaps, you know, that's a tip for, for all of us for kind of handling our real life stress. If we can find an analogy that works for us, if we can treat it like it's something that we do on a daily basis, whether that's sport or or gaming or, you know, something else, um, maybe that's a way of kind of processing stress for, for us too. But Harry here um, is very capable at flying. Bagman is constantly complimenting his flying kind of saying it's an international level almost um, throughout his commentary
2: Yeah, he even like pokes fun at Crumb
1: (laughs) Are you watching (laughs) Mr. Crumb? (laughs) But really what I think this this task and this challenge and this book does in particular is really show us all the benefit of tactical thinking Um, It really encourages problem solving and critical thinking and showing Harry really is a true role model here He's been given a challenge, he's admittedly struggled along the way to try and find a solution, but eventually he has. He is playing to his strengths and he is solving the problem kind of one step at a time. He knows what he needs to do. He's got his goal and he's kind of working a way to achieve what to do. Um, is is this really kind of the first chance we get to see Harry being a kind of everyday hero? He's not necessarily out there to to save the world, but he can do role model things in his daily life as well although you know hopefully not battling a dragon every day on his daily life
3: (laughs) well yeah i think with this moment um because in the first three books yes harry does all this heroic stuff but he's always had help like there's always been the nick of time something happens this time i feel like jk Rowling had to sit him by himself though he's had help getting there he has to do these three challenges and so for that it shows, you know, you can only be helped so much until you have to step up and say, "Yes, I can do it."
0: Yeah, I,
2: I think that actually the, the closest that Harry does get into these moments in previous books is his Quidditch matches. Yeah, um, mm. and there is a there is an element of heroism that's put into the Quidditch infused in the Quidditch matches because of the need for Gryffindor to win because of that desperation that they haven't won mm-hmm. in so many years. Um, and also the ways that Harry either spectacularly wins a match or spectacularly loses a match. Like when, even when he loses, (laughs) he does it in a really like theatrical way. Um, you um, fall off
3: your broom. It's fine.
2: Yes. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, you fell, you plummeted hundreds of feet to the ground, so you lost, but you did it in a way where everybody was paying attention to you. (laughs) <laughs> um, like nobody even noticed Cedric catch the snitch. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I think in that way, and, and it comes from the fact that Harry, regardless of it, whether he's doing something heroic or every day, everything to the public that he does is heroic because of who he is. Um, right. Yeah. So he can never really get out of that limelight. It's, this is one of those funny moments to me too, especially with what you were saying, Rosie, with how he, talks about how he natural, he just feels that he's in his natural home on a broom and he feels comfortable and it's very similar to the um moment when he first flies on a broom in sorcerer's stone um yeah and, he's, oh, yeah. and he feels very at home on the broom and he's kind of I like to think of that. both
1: of those moments um we know that in in the letter that he finds from lily we know that sirius has given like toddler harry a tiny little broom
2: and ha- mm. like toddler
1: Harry is flying around. So I wonder if both of those moments that the kind of the Philos- Philosopher's of Stone moment where he's on the broom for the first time-ish. And, and this moment is like, he feels at home on a broom because he has been doing it. It's the one thing, one that magical aspect of his childhood that he actually did. And he got to do it with his parents. And it feels I love nice that. and safe I like and homely. That
2: yeah, that there's there's a subconscious level of comfort yeah
1: even if he doesn't personally remember it he Mm -hmm. did have that experience and it's somewhere there
2: and it's another connection to his dad because we know that well his dad wasn't a seeker he was a chaser um that he you know his dad had also had that inherent ability to fly um and was good on a broom so there's there's that connection there As well, but it 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 is funny when you you know think towards the future and the fact that Harry Harry's prowess at Quidditch, like despite that and and having seen a professional international level Quidditch match, he never considers Quidditch as a career. Yeah, yeah. his His wife goes into Quidditch (laughs) as a career, and he never considers it. Like he never even thinks about Quidditch as something that he would follow or do professionally. And I was like, just as much as I think it's fascinating that he doesn't go into teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts as which at Hogwarts, have. which also seemed like a natural fit for him. <laughs> yeah. um, this is another piece that's a natural fit versus really honestly when he's like, I want to be an or," and I'm like, why on earth do you want to do that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> that? That sounds awful. You deserve a break, Harry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like these, these both sound like much better viable careers for you that you would get more enjoyment from, honestly, than yeah. being an But, you know, that's fine to each their own. Good for you, Harry. Well, can
3: I also say that in this moment, he kind of does this, like, he is also showing his, like, care of magical creatures because he's watching this animal, mm. like, follow him and follow his movements. Mm-hmm. And I totally forgot this because, sadly, the movie had that moment of, like, the dragon flying after him. But, like, yes. the fact that the dragon is, like, he's snake charming it in a weird way.
2: I think that's why the movie changes it, because the tactical solution is probably just not as exciting on screen. Like, honestly, that's something that I always get surprised at by this chapter is the the actual fighting of the dragon is really short. So short. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, just
1: flying past it, really. <laughs>
2: yeah. He just kind of flies around it and then g- he gets the egg. So and there's a few <laughs> like the dragon spurts fire like twice. And that's. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That would that wouldn't make for a very good scene on film. Honestly. But I think
1: that's also really kind of telling is that you can build up these problems to be as big as you make them in your head and mm. as terrifying and as threatening and as frightening as they can be. And then really once you're actually there and you can get into it and you are you know what you're doing, you can solve it in a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, that's true. There's Yeah, yeah there's there's <laughs> a lesson being taught there about about that <laughs> for Harry, which he does not take to heart and he continues to ignore all of his Triwizard <laughs> stuff anyway. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs>
1: and harry is actually the fastest to get his egg um which considering you know that he's he's up against three other students who are you know older more prepared who are being helped by their teachers more than he was you know how did he manage to actually do better than the other students is he really just that great at flying that he could just fly past a dragon really easily or was there something else happening or is he just harry potter (laughs) he
2: cheated (laughs) oh <laughs> well, yeah he cheated he cheated he cheated he cheated like the other th- I, it's like, part
1: of the tournament so it's I'm, fine
2: <laughs> i'm assuming that if crumb had used a broom he probably would have done better than harry um yeah probably. because yeah that's I agree. crumb's talent like that's all like crumb is crumb like harry even acknowledges that crumb is leaps and bounds ahead of him on on a broom yeah
1: is anyone else upset that we never really get to see harry versus crumb flying Like we should have, there should have been some kind of one-on-one Quidditch match or something. Yes,
2: that sounds like it would have been amazing.
3: (laughs) Well, also each of the students have like this like tactical way, and I think we discuss it later on, like the way they handle it. Harry just kind of went forward, like heads on. I'm just going for it.
2: Yeah. Well, and there's the other piece of you know trying to add comfort into bringing life to things because Cedric brings a rock to life and turns it into a dog, (laughs) and like that's that doesn't seem very nice. (laughs) Like, granted, he is, Cedric's like, you know, truly under the, under that pressure. Um, even more so than Harry, because I don't think the other, I, it seems to me that the other champions didn't take to heart what the advice that Moody gave to Harry of playing their yeah. strengths. Like the other champions did just put on, almost kind of put on a show of spellcasting that nec- Yeah. that wasn't necessarily their, their strength. It was kind of just a survival tactic.
1: <laughs> and maybe it's partly Harry's foolhardiness as well. Like, he probably could have, like, used a bit more tactical advantage here. He could have gone and hidden. He could have flown around some rocks a bit more. But no, he just went gung-ho straight into it, mm-hmm. just ignoring the danger at that stage.
2: <laughs> and what did, do we know, do we, I think Ron says it, but what did Fleur do?
3: Some kind of charm to put it to sleep? Lull yeah, it, to sleep? it doesn't
1: really, um, doesn't really say it's That's some kind right. of charm.
2: She tried to I put would it to sleep, that but it's it's part- it set her on fire.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I've always kind of associated that with her kind of Vila heritage. Is mm. that maybe she was trying to use like the Vila charm, like we saw in in the Quidditch World Cup? Um, oh, was it a male on dragon? the dragon?
3: <laughs> yep, it
2: was a you female know, dragon. Some, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Oh yeah, they are the mothers. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not that that's not necessarily what the problem is, but yeah, uh, yeah, that I'm I, I, I'm assuming Vela magic doesn't work on non humans. <laughs> probably not (laughs) which is why she didn't
1: manage to succeed (laughs) poor Fleur but as you've just mentioned it is Ron who tells Harry what happened in her match and that's because as Harry kind of leaves the stage leaves the stadium um, and and goes towards Madame um, Pumphrey to get kind of checked over make sure he's okay Ron finally runs up and says that he believes Harry all the the time Um, he puts his ego aside in the face of danger which is quite nice um and harry finally forgives him and hermione cries because boys <laughs> <laughs> see and this that's um, the
2: other when that ties back to rosie into your question about hermione in the movie i think hermione's yeah. moment is tran- her crying moment is transposed to before the tournament um instead of after yeah. cuz that emotional level that she's at there matches the emotional level she's supposed to have here and because yeah. in the movie she deadpans this um and she's just kind of like
1: incredulous oh, yes
2: yeah. yes but but in the in the book yes she she has a whole crying fit and runs off um, yeah because <laughs> she's overcome with emotion and ron and her and ron and harry are just like wow she's what's
1: going on off her
2: <laughs> rocket like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i do and i think
1: that really does tell us more about hermione's characters like and it- because she's done the training and everything with harry beforehand she has total trust that harry will be able to it. yes um yes. it's yes it's still dangerous and yes she's still worried for him but she believes that he can do it and, and is trying to help him believe himself that he can do it whereas here you know it, she, friendship is such a major thing for Hermione she struggles with it so much and that when she finally sees two boys who have had this major <laughs> falling out finally reconnect and allow them both to be her friends again mm-hmm. that is what's really important to her and that's what makes her emotional
3: what
0: were
1: you and that's just say? so much more realistic
2: Aaron, what oh, well, I was
3: just gonna say with um, Ron, uh-huh. I love that the two moments that they their friendship is destroyed or you know on hold between this and like book seven when Ron leaves and comes back, it takes like a dragon or defeating a <laughs> Horcrux for them to become <laughs> friends again. Like it's after the fact that the sheer danger is over, and you're like, oh yeah, well we're still cool. It's great. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, one, th- well, this is this uh, this this piece is a microcosm and a lead up to what's going to happen in Deathly Hallows. Right. Yeah. Um, and it is encouraging to know, and maybe a comfort for, as you were reading Deathly Hell is the first time to know that Ron will come back because you had an example before in Goblet where he abandoned Harry.
1: Yeah,
2: um, right. Out of pride and out of ego.
1: And it's a bit of an example of how Ron grows up a bit more between this book and that book, because yes, he still walks off, but, Ron himself admits that as soon as he did, he wanted to go back and he tried to find them and, and has been kind of tracking them ever since in book seven. Whereas here, he really does let it sit. Um, yes. And it really does take a dragon to get them back together again. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's, he's matured a bit between these two books.
2: Yeah, you feel hmm. you feel in Deathly Hallows that Ron pays his penance for his actions. Um, yeah. he, Very much so, like, yeah He does his dues and he earns his way back into the group. Um, and that his reasoning for become, for doing what he does in hallows is a more complicated adult reason for yes it's absolutely not, it's, it's, it's more based
1: plans. on romance than anything else <laughs> yes
2: it's not it's not completely petty because he does have a valid concern and understanding of like that harry and hermione are on a particular intellectual level that he is not He's not, yeah. Um, And he sees that. They're actually
1: both on similar reasons, aren't they? Because, I mean, essentially, when um, Ron leaves later on, it's the locket playing on his ego and playing on Mm -hmm. his fear of being the spare, being the one that's not as good as Harry. Yeah. And for this reason, in this book, he leaves because he's worried that Harry's trying to get all of this glory for himself and, again, is is kind of ignoring Ron and putting him on the backside and, and... um, didn't tell him, didn't let him have his own chance for glory. Yeah. So yeah, both both times it's based on ego, but here, um, it's it's more of a sense of betrayal. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, out out of pettiness and out of glory and out of not really understanding what the tournament would be. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> um, whereas
1: later on, it, it, it's more kind of deep seated personality ego
2: problems. It does say something about this tournament, doesn't it? That as you guys said before Ron, who has been raised in this environment from birth, yeah. <laughs> is like this is crazy. Like <laughs> 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 It is funny that Ron, who has been raised with the insanity of the wizarding world, generally And whose
1: brothers work with dragons. <laughs> yes, is right.
2: generally the one who acknowledges that things are like unacceptable. Yeah, at Hogwarts, yeah. like, when, when things go... beyond
1: when, normal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: That, that is not that is not how normal life should be.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Harry is then given his scores. He gets an 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 9 out of 10, <laughs> 10 out of 10, for which he complains that Bagman shouldn't have given him a perfect score. <laughs> and then a 4 out of 10 from Karkaroff, which is just ridiculous. You know, how anyone could say that it was 4 out of 10 when he managed to get his egg the fastest, and yeah... Karkaroff thinks he was cheating too, but it's biased just, is biased.
2: <laughs> this is something I brought up on episode 58 and something I really don't understand. Why are the headmasters judges? They should, yeah. they should <laughs> they not be biased. judges. Yes, they're all biased, theoretically. Like, the only one who I think is playing fairly, of course, is Dumbledore. Um, well, and then I think
3: Madame Maxine gave him a good score. Yeah, she's
2: she's. Yes. I mean, she's still cheating, but she's playing yes. fair. She's playing a little more fairly, but yeah, like who, who, and they've they've got other representatives who aren't headmasters. So why don't they just have them? judge the turn? It's
1: very heavily skewed towards the Brits as well. Like, yes, you've got two two guest foreign schools, but only two foreign judges compared to the others. Yeah,
2: right. There should Definitely be one delegation from each. I mean, this is. Kind of an more of like an unspoken commentary, but I actually this is one of the reasons I really like *Goblet of Fire*. Um, is uh, on top of the fact that it's a really well layered mystery that kind of breaks the mold from the previous Potter books. Um, yeah, but also because it's a really it, she basically did a wizard's version of the Olympics. And yes. Yes. It and not only did she carry over. The kind of the grandioseness of and, and spectacle of the Olympics and the danger of the Olympics. She carried over the politics of the Olympics. Um, yeah. which is Okay. My
1: brain has th- now just gone, I Victor.
2: Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> Instead it's, of it's, I Tonya. <laughs> it, right. I, to- yeah. To- totally. Totally. It's, <laughs> it is that piece where you have, um, you have all this behind the scenes drama. And I mean, listeners, if you, if you look into, you know the IOC, the International Olympics Committee. There's some just insane politics that go on with the mm-hmm. Olympics every year, um, and you know, th- you know, from doping scandals to uh, you know countries who are how how countries are let in and who's permitted to play and the and the relationships between the countries while they are there at the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. You know, of course, we had the, the the last Olympics. The fact that North Korea participated was a huge hoopla oh, yeah. um, because they had never come out of their shell before to do that. Um, and then, of course, they were right there with South Korea. And and so there, there are all of these just fascinating politics at play. And technically that – and I, this is why I think th- – this is another example of why I think Rowling's writing goes above and beyond compared to a lot of young adult authors or children's book authors is most authors I think in that genre who would do a tournament like this wouldn't have included the political aspect. Um, yeah, you would right. just get the grandioseness and excitement of a tournament. But Rolling bothers to actually also import the true human politics that surround events like these, and that's what makes it interesting. And here we have it. An and they make
3: it. And she makes it understandable for children. Yeah, makes it easy for them to see that. Oh, these judges are biased. Yes,
2: because you're still having to process this through a through a teenager's eyes. Um, yeah. Harry can't have more knowledge than than a 14 year old at this point. But um, and then you, you know, of course, and we'll see that in a minute, but you even get that with the way that the press is involved with that. Um, so there's yeah, very true. she 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 does that really well. That's just not something that I think you would commonly see.
1: I think she also really kind of laid the groundwork for that with the the Minister of Magic and all of the, the politics that Harry's already been involved with, mm. you know, in Prisoner of Azkaban and all of those kind of things mm-hmm. where we've already seen kind of biased politician stuff happening um, within our own countries. Yeah. So then to add international ties into that um, and kind of heighten those elements of corruption um, or, or um, kind of self-preservation, I guess. Um, well, it really does kind of lead nicely into Harry being aware of the dangers of the political sphere as well as the good versus evil spheres and how that's all kind of being manipulated together um, mm, after this mm-hmm. book. Uh,
3: with the Triwizard Tournaments, do we ever get any examples of other schools? Is it only just Bebotton, uh Demstrang, and Hogwarts? Like I think never it's just those three.
1: Else? Historically, with with it being Triwizard, it's it's. I think it's, it's yeah a, a, a history of those three schools competing. Um, but there are obviously other wizarding schools around the world, so it'd be interesting to right. know if there were other similar things for them.
2: Other
3: competitions like that going
2: on. Yeah, I could be wrong, but the, currently, those are the major schools we know of that are in Europe. Correct. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. So maybe
1: yeah, it's just the kind of a European competition. Mm-hmm. Oh.
2: There's implications mm-hmm. that there are other large wizarding schools in Europe, but we haven't definitively gotten names for them yet. Yeah. But yeah, It's, it's, it's very impressive that Rowling bothers to do. I think, and I, when, when I th- think hearing this discussion, it also made me think, and th- this, this isn't a spoiler in any way for, for the current fantastic beast movie, but more just as a general thing that surrounded, especially the first fantastic beasts. Um, but I'm wondering if this is actually goblet of fire, especially, particularly brings to light the maybe the reason why people in some ways why why the fandom has had disappointments from rolling as far as how she treats international <laughs> wizarding culture now because she did a pretty good job here. Um she there's still failings like and I don't know how much you can speak to this Rosie, but there's always been a bit of humorous contention between the British and the French. Um, yeah. <laughs> and she she plays off of that in here. Like, there is yeah, still definitely... That, that's some... just a
1: very accepted societal joke, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> like, we don't actually really have that many real problems between Britain and France, but it's one of those kind of rivalries that we both, like... Enjoy mocking each other about, as far as I'm aware. No, I really hope that's true. Sorry to any French listeners who. Really <laughs> <like us. laughs>
2: no, I mean that's definitely. I mean, uh, probably the closest thing we have to that in the U.S. is how our relationship with Canada, which is ironic because they yeah, also exactly. speak French. It's the
1: little there. brother thing.
2: <laughs> um, but that I think there, there's a yeah, there's like some friendly ribbing going on, and rolling definitely plays into some of those stereotypes about the French in yeah. the, the book. Yeah. Um, but overall. I think the tantalizing tastes she gives for politics in other countries in the wizarding world through this is good. And it gives us just a light sense of what might be going on in the other countries. And it's, I think, in many ways, what made us interested about the opening up of this world to other yeah. countries.
1: I think the, the problem with it then going into Fantastic Beasts mm-hmm. is the time period shift
0: Mm. because
1: obviously this is, this is a snapshot of culture and ribbing and everything that's happening at the moment or, you know, in the nineties or whatever um, with, with these European countries who are experiencing peacetime. However, by setting Fantastic Beasts in the twenties, in the thirties, you know, in between the the world wars or in that first world war kind of time period, there is so much tension with international relationships um and obviously we've we've discussed several times before about the grid of old um storyline how it um ties into the First world war. No spoilers or anything, but I know that there's a lot of discussion about that going on with whatever happens in that film that's just been released. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, so I can't comment um but uh,
3: don't worry I haven't either
1: yeah <laughs> but but I mean those those hints that that um that storyline will reflect the first world war and the rise of fascism and all of that kind of thing. Mm those have always existed and they existed in the Harry Potter series as well. So we can't really say, Oh, this shouldn't be happening in the fantastic beast series because we, we kind of knew that that parallel was already there. Um, but yeah, by setting it in that earlier time period, those international relationships are going to be a lot more fractured. They're going to be a lot more tense. Um, and for, for magic to be treated in a very different way in the States, um, does make some some sense potentially um in terms of different time periods different culture etc um
2: oh yeah well we, we do
1: need to remember that the 1920s was very very different yeah um, than, than how we live today and yeah those those world wars really did have a major effect on society and we're living in a very very a, a very positive and free time at the moment right. there, obviously there are some political mm-hmm. tensions and things that are changing that sadly um we need to remember the benefits that we lived and, and grew up with um you know i'm i'm speaking from it's been a it's been a really tough brexit week here
2: yes um, we've heard
1: but yeah there, there's a lot going <laughs> on
2: um, yes, there's, yeah, there's the, a lot the of real shared, shared to... empathy between the citizens yeah. <laughs> of the us and the uk right now it's,
1: it's a crazy world um but yeah we, we can learn a lot from from this kind of relationship and, and the benefits that it has
2: yeah right i think more like I, I, like what i was thinking more in terms of as far as how uh, the, you know, the, where I'm maybe reciting disappointment is when we think about how Rowling handled, say, the Native American storyline, um, in yeah. on Pottermore, or as, she, as she has, or, or, you know, even like people were disappointed with Koro from Japan and, um, you, you know, Castle Labruhu Bruhu from, from uh south america there were disappointments um but i
3: kind of also feel like like we said earlier with the um dragons like how she takes the mythology and she gives it her own lens in that way yeah like i i understand it's messing with people's culture but she's not doing anything it's you know what i mean it's not a weird it's not a bad representation of it yeah
1: we're living in a time period that's very um, you know, tensions are heightened in terms of cultural appropriation and also representation. Yeah, we're we're at this weird kind of crossing roads where we're saying we want to see more of these characters, right. but you have to put them in exactly perfectly, and you can't mess with them anyway. Yeah, and you can't make them your own. So it's it's very difficult um, to achieve that. I think
2: the issue that Rowling is coming upon is what she did well here in Goblet of Fire is that she didn't really go into too much detail because Rowling, I think, for a long time, especially during the Harry Potter series, knew the value of leaving things open to the reader's imagination. But because her her hand has been forced in a lot of ways by other entities, it's been unfortunate because she is being forced to cross into territory that she doesn't have knowledge of. And because she, I think, is also pressed for time... She also doesn't have the ability to explore, and maybe you know I can't. I I probably shouldn't take all the blame off of her because there probably is some blame on her part. Um, she does have to take some responsibility for that. But there are also elements where she, you you know, the the research that she needs to do to properly incorporate these cultural aspects or even mythological aspects, of course, isn't isn't up to its potential the way that it was here in Goblet of Fire.
1: Yeah, and there's so much more potential to explore things in a long-form novel than there are in a screenplay or in a
2: a Pottermore
1: post, you know? Yes. So we have to remember at the end of the day, she is a a writer, and if she was allowed to be writing them as books, I do feel she would do a better job.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of almost, like, as much of a, like, if, if not a kind of admonishing of Rowling, more so an admonishing of the fandom... In that yeah. when you ask for this kind of stuff and you ask for it in, you depend- have to in a capitalist take it system, as it is. yes, you're going to probably suffer for quality yeah. for that reason. And I'm just wondering – like it's just kind of hitting me now that realization that Goblet of Fire might actually be a big reason for why we feel this way um, because she succeeded I think in most aspects in Goblet of Fire versus yeah. the other books. Um yeah.
3: This is actually my favorite book because of that. I yeah. love
2: it. Yeah, yeah. It has a lot of that fun. That, just that this is the first time that the Wizarding World opens up beyond Britain extensively. Yes. And it's exciting. Um, yes. Very much so, so, yeah, of course you want to know hmm. more. But
1: Harry, however, is not necessarily interested in the politics of it. All. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and to him, he's really just happy that Ron's feeling indignation for him Mm -hmm. um at these scores you know he's he's happy to get his friend back and that's actually another thing i really like about this book is that yes it broadens itself out it really introduces ourselves to the massive political structure of the wizarding world and the fact that it is a wizarding world Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day this is still a story about school kids at school and the friendships they face and the struggles they have um and, yeah, Harry's succeeded in kind of getting the school to support him now. And he, this is the moment where he really does become a school champion. He's not just the other one who managed to trick his way into the tournament. People really support him. Um, and I like well, that. Well,
3: yeah, I mean, after going up against a dragon,
1: yeah. who
2: wouldn't? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Only the Slytherins will say, nah, it's not that. Well, one. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're secretly impressed. They just won't say out loud. <laughs>
1: Uh, And they should be impressed as well because Harry and Crumb are technically now tied after this first task. Um, And Bagman, Bagman, Bagman um, (laughs) explains um, that the second task clue is in the egg and that they need to kind of work that out to themselves. And to close the chapter, we get a lovely little snapshot of sassy Harry. He's just (laughs) succeeded. He's got all of that adrenaline running through him and he's feeling on top of the world. And so when Rita asks him for a quick word, he says, sure, I'll give you a word. Goodbye. (laughs) it's great i love it perfect moment (laughs) that's
2: that that piece that's missing entirely from the movie not only sassy they should have kept it the fact that i maybe and maybe that's the reason why the rita subplot is so lacking in satisfaction in the movie because even with dropping her her, with her purpose in the movie there isn't even the satisfaction that harry gets back at her because he never does um so she, she's,
1: she's there for humor rather than to be some, some aspect of a villain.
2: Yeah. And she's
3: not as much of an annoyance or as a, like, instigator as she is in the book.
2: No. Yeah. And, and it is a shame because, like, what we were talking about, that is what, again, makes Rowling's writing so rich is that Rita does cause this problem that is t- so tied into the international relationships, um, mm-hmm. and, and the infighting at, at, at the, at the event. And so to kind of take her out of that equation is, is a shame um, because she does contribute so well to the plot and it's,
0: yeah,
2: and because she the, Rita, you know, we really owe Rita her dues as far as her plot purpose, because the amazing thing that I, to think about with this book that I frequently mention on the show, but it's because I think we consistently uh, tend to put, rolling on a pedestal for her writing abilities Mm -hmm. and her fort and her ability to plan things out so intricately, but Rita wasn't part of the plan. And I love that. That's amazing to me that she wrote a pretty hefty draft of goblet that did not have Rita. And it had the second cousin who was related to the Weasleys um, who was fulfilling Rita's role of, like, kind of get, dropping the information that Harry needed. But Rowling realized uh, that she was stretching that character too far for her abilities because she was only a first-year student.
3: Yeah, and then what do you do with, like, year five and year seven? Yes. That kind of
2: yeah. Rita's <laughs> information. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what would those have been without this brilliant incorporation and, and commentary on the press? Like, I just... Yeah how much lesser and how much we would have missed and it, it's interesting because simultaneously it's also one of those clever things that we find out didn't have didn't fulfill its purpose because Rowling set up the second cousin and sorcerer's stone um but it never came to fruition because she couldn't make it work yeah and, and rita is so much more preferable I think.
1: Yeah. In the end. She's such a great character.
2: Yes. Who knows? Rita might be related to the Weasleys. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody does have a close, close relation here in the yeah. the wizarding world. But yeah, it's just, it just, I think we, we get so used now to, you know, so much of the fandom calls Joe queen and they, they just say, you know, we we're so used to, especially with fantastic beasts, where on the press circuit she constantly, and in some cases I'm I question whether she is being told to say that she had all of this in her head. You know, every single yeah. thing we find. <laughs> like literally every time we reveal something about new, the new fantastic beasts, she comes out on a press tour and says, I thought about this twenty years ago. And I'm like, that's not possible. <laughs> like and, <laughs> and, and 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 with Rita, it's a good reminder that while Rowling is an extremely gifted writer. She still faced the challenges that all writers faced.
3: Yes, very much so.
2: And that made her story all the much better for it because she wrote this she wrote this whole draft of Goblet of Fire, realized it was really bad, had a kind of a de- depressive breakdown, and then managed to break through that. And to me, that's a way better story than saying I had this all in my head twenty years ago. Yeah.
3: And for the fact that she was willing to kill Orwell to get rid of a complete character and have to create a new one to yes. make
2: it work it just yeah yeah that's that's an astonishing that's that to me is a more astonishing ability um so i have to say too before we wrap up because i just realized it was it, it would it's kind of funny to mention especially now that we've gone past like you know we've had this play out for so long and and um it's You know the canon. The canon is questionable in this instance, but I suppose the the Albus and Scorpius are here, (laughs) (laughs) and Albus and Scorpius are there again, and Hermione and Ron, Mm. as adults in another universe, are here. like it's apparently (laughs) the less said
1: about that the better
2: (laughs) (laughs) just something to uh keep in mind if that's if that's how you want to read it (laughs) but um of course uh we want to thank aaron aaron you were a great guest thank you so much for joining us on this episode thank you
3: guys for having me
1: we hope you enjoyed it
2: very much so (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got a good one. You got dragons. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Can't be dragons. Unless you're Harry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh listeners, just like Aaron, if you would like to be on the show, we have ways for you to do that. And we have some very exciting topics coming up, which you can see on our website. And our next topic will be one that you guys have been asking for a lot. And then we've been really eager to do. It's Luna yes. Lovegood. Woohoo! Yeah. But she's
1: so good.
2: Yes. Good. She's so, she's, she's love good. <laughs> um but <laughs> so rosie's going to tell you a little bit about how you can participate in future episodes
1: yeah absolutely if you want to be on that episode or in a future episode all you have to do is visit our website alohamorapodcast.com and choose the be on the show tab follow the instructions on there to send us your audition and we will let you know when you can be on you can also visit the topic submit page to tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about next And all you need really is a microphone and a pair of headphones. If you're chosen to guest, we'll walk you through the rest.
2: Aaron can speak to that personally because yes yes, (laughs) we had tech issues and we got him through them and it was so worth it because he was a great guest so if you're if you are if you are like unsure about your abilities with that don't worry that's what we're here for
1: and if you don't necessarily want to be a guest host but you would like to contact us in some other way you can get us on twitter at alohomora mn facebook.com forward slash open the dumbledore our website, as you've already heard, is alohomora podcast.com. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash alohomora MN and you can drop us an email, alohomora podcast at gmail.com.
2: Definitely worth checking out that YouTube now listeners, because my one hour review of Cursed Child <laughs> is live for all viewers and <laughs> listeners. So be sure to check
1: So you can that find out. out more about Albus and Severus being here <laughs> at the
2: first there. <Class> <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we want to give you one more reminder, listeners, to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash alohamora. And thanks again to Margot L. Robinson, our sponsor for this episode, and to all of our Patreon sponsors. Again, as a reminder, you can sponsor us for as low as $1 a month. Be sure to check out our higher tiers for access to Dumbledore's Office, episode sponsoring, decals, chapter readings with me, and vintage Alohomora t-shirts. And as a additional reminder, because it's our exciting new feature, um, from Pandora, they do have a new podcasting system where they can help you choose podcasts that you might enjoy and alohomora will be featured on this new pandora podcasting service launching in december and as again as a reminder you can visit uh that for sign up at pandora podcast beta splash com and you can sign up for early access and find us there because if you like us on that pandora then it's going to suggest other harry potter podcasts for you so that's a great way to expand your podcasting library but for now We've defeated a dragon, so I think we deserve a rest. So that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm Michael.
1: I'm Rosie. Thank you for listening to episode 259 of Alohomora.
2: Axio the Dumbledore. we can can mention we can mention that after introductions
1: yeah just that it'll be yeah spoiler free for the month of November at least yeah yeah (laughs) and probably a little
0: bit of December too yeah cool all right um let's get started then Yeah.